This is Shaka Ward Speak. Uh, a felony and got locked up for six months. And while I was in there, you know, I lost my job, obviously. Yeah. Um, I was doing manual labor prior to that. So it, losing the job, you know, it was unfortunate from a monetary standpoint. But, uh, you know, it was killing me physically and mentally. So it was a bad place to be mm-hmm. in. Yeah. Um, so I ended up, I get in trouble for uh, an altercation with somebody. Mm-hmm. And... I, I didn't even see a damn judge for six months. For real. Yeah. And then when I saw one, they were like, well, okay, uh, X amount of years suspended, time served. Boom, gone. So, uh, but while I was in there, you know, getting letters from friends and family, and uh, my best friend just mails me the John Tyler pamphlet. Mm-hmm. I was like, dude, why not? I mean, you. And I'm like, what the, why would I go to community college at, you know, 30-something? That's, mm-hmm. I don't really know where. And he was like, dude, you know, you could draw. And I'm like, nah, man, they're not going to be able to. I'm not going to be able to get into art school this late. And so we, we chatted about it back and forth. And while I was there, um, I was getting bored, so I started to draw. I hadn't drawn in a long time. So I was getting bored, started to draw. And then, like you said, uh, dude doing prison tats and that's mm-hmm. how he got by i was doing envelopes for people because mm-hmm. that was a, that was like a hot commodity if you could do an envelope for somebody sending their girl something yeah. or their daughter or something yep uh so that was that, that actually became like super fun and then a dude comes in who was super deep in the graffiti scene uh and we start doing art back and forth we were like go back to the cell do some goofy, goofy stuff just to try to make the other person laugh mm-hmm. and then come back out and do like a collage with toothpaste and stuff and newspapers. So we were like jacking all the newspapers from the old guys when they're done with them. Yeah. And then just like, you know, pulling out words like butt and then putting it all over t- and trying to make everybody else laugh as yep. we're geeking yep. out. I mm-hmm. mean, it was a weird environment for everybody to be around, I think. <laughs> yeah. 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 It was mad cool. So, uh, I went to John Tyler to do the fine arts program or the fine arts certificate program. It's a year long program mm-hmm. to develop a portfolio. It's, it was supposed to kind of mimic the, um, art foundation yeah. first year that everybody has to go through at VCU arts. Mm-hmm. Um, came up here with my daughter, like on my shoulders for por- for portfolio day to try and get some insight what year, and stuff. What year was that? Uh, it was like seven Roughly. years ago ish. Okay. Man, I might've, I might have ran into you. I was I was at those. I mean, okay. I did that stuff. Yeah, cool. It's interesting. Yeah, I'm having a recollection. That's why I'm at. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we had to. We stood in line for like two yep. and a half hours like from outside into yep. the hallway. And yeah, I was yeah. definitely there. So I got decent feedback from it. People yeah. were like, "It's cool." And I actually used a ton of my drawings from when I was locked up because that was the most recent stuff I had done. Like I didn't have anything for ten years prior to that. Yeah. yeah. So, mm-hmm. um, it was all blue ballpoint ink pens and the pens were like two and a half inches long and they were rubber mm-hmm. so we would like wrap cards around them and then put like some cellophane from the guys that were getting like apples and sandwiches uh and turn them into like long pens and stuff so some of this stuff was cool man it's nice uh i ended up yeah. turning it into like an art book uh mm-hmm. later on as a project that john tyler and that came out really well but I had to go through a whole bunch of the loopholes that y'all were talking about mm-hmm. earlier as far as, you know, a background check. So when I applied here and the portfolio was accepted, I got the letter that was like, sorry, guy, you're not going to be able to come in. 
I was like, man, what? So, you know, I contact them and stuff. It turns out it's a background check. So then I had to go and like interview with multiple people throughout the yep. administration, uh, you know, tell them I'm, you know, anger management classes, et cetera. Um, trying to plead my case that, that I'll be okay and nothing's going to happen while I'm on campus. And, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, man, they were, I, I have their names written down and I'm, I'm sending them thank you cards, you know, uh, that's awesome, man. Because they they held it down for me when I first got there and were like really, really helpful. The the interview process was interesting because it was like it went from like third floor in a big open building to first floor in like a lobby and then to like this basement that I had to go through like <laughs> nine doors to get through. And I'm looking up and I'm like, I don't have any idea how to get out of here, man. This is kind of sketchy. <laughs> is yeah. it, you went right into what major? You didn't go to art foundations though. No, I didn't because yeah, that, that program that, yeah, was yeah, supposed to mimic it, right? I know I didn't. I know I didn't yeah, because I'm on admission, so we would have seen your portfolio, okay, and would have um, tallied your yeah, we would have tallied your scores and then put it for, pushed you forward. Like we would just would have looked at it, whether or not you you had those requirements and right. forwarded you to your major. So I probably saw your portfolio. Cool, just weird to think about. But then, um, and then you, and then you went into com arts or yeah. Well, initially. Um, what I was told from some professors uh, was MassCom because then I could get a couple of graphic design gotcha. courses yeah, in yeah, the graphic yeah. design department. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, man, I don't know. that's a lot of reading. Um, you know, I had two kids, so I, yeah, it's yeah, yeah. a lot of reading. Um, and started to discuss other options, but it turned out that it was the communication arts department yep. that mm -hmm. seemed like a good fit. And Interestingly, it allowed me to do what I did when I was younger and really, really enjoyed drawing mm -hmm. uh, and not having to be stuck computer mm -hmm. um, or, you know, like ruler and lined paper. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. So, uh, you know, this is Shaka Wordspeak. We are happy to have you here. Uh, we're talking today with uh, editorial illustrator, uh, photographer, uh, screen printer, number of other things we'll probably get into throughout the conversation with Ian Duffus. So we're happy to have you here, man. Uh, thanks so much. Uh, kind of a Richmond uh, local, uh, been doing some stuff for a while, got a really great story. And I think like what you're kind of stepping into is kind of where I want to pop, uh, pop into because we're kind of, it's great. We're coming to this story kind of in the middle, but I'd love to even go back further. You said uh, as a kid, you'd like to draw. So what was, I mean, what was that like kind of early pull? What were you, what were you getting involved with in the arts? Like from an early age, and how early was that? Uh, like probably before I could remember, but mm. at least like three and four, because I remember having drawings in the first house that we lived in, or the first house I lived in, on the fridge, and then my mom was taking them to work, and it was funny because some of them would be like knights with swords, and then some of them would be like knights with swords post battle, and it's like shows everything that happened <laughs> beforehand. And, yeah, uh, you know, people would be like, she was tentative. Or not uh, timid to try and when she was selecting which pieces of artwork will be able to go into her office. So that was kind of cool. Um, yeah, like dismembered knights. Yeah, exactly. Like hanging up on your fridge. Mm -hmm. Nice. Yeah, 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 I was drawing like William Wallace. <laughs> <laughs> that's Robert the awesome, Bruce. Yeah, it was weird. Yeah. <laughs> it was cool though. That was, I guess, that's where I learned my chops. <laughs> um, but yeah, that translated into just drawing uh, whenever. Um, and then in school, was drawing in you know art class and everybody's like mm -hmm. good yeah man you're great and so they gassed me up forever and I started to uh, draw football cards mm. and then kids were like yo 
you could probably make some money off of this. This is an elementary school. And I'm like, yeah, maybe, maybe I could. So then I started like making the pack, like an actual pack and then putting the football cards in. I have my own brand stats and all that type of stuff on the back. And you know? yeah. Uh, yeah, I probably made like a couple of Snickers bars worth of money yeah. <laughs> with yeah. like seven friends, you know? Yeah. 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 That's for real. school right there. Yeah. Yeah. For real. Like, uh, yeah, selling stuff at elementary school, like making junk and selling it to your friends. There was always kids that, so there's always the kids that, that sold candy. They always had, like, they would, yeah, yeah, the convenience of them bringing the candy to you. And I'm like, they'd have the boxes and we'd get in trouble for buying and selling candy at school. Yeah. I don't know, just that, that like, middle school hustle had had levels to it. Yeah, we for had, sure. we had two dudes that uh, they'd come in with stuff and it'd be all kind of crazy things. Like, it might be like a hoodie, some magazines. And we're just like, what's going on? Yeah. So they're like the flea market bootleggers. No, they were yeah. just straight up stealing stuff from Entrep- Walmart. Yeah, stealing stuff. Oh, okay. <laughs> Entrepreneurial types, though, yeah. man. Like, Jack and stuff would be like, hey, I'll get you this magazine for half the cover price. Dude, <laughs> you're I just, like, I don't read People magazine. <laughs> for real. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're like, I have no need for this. Supply and demand, man. Say, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, there's always, there's like certain kids that really were hustles, hustlers, but they had like a uh, legit entre- entrepreneurial oh, yeah. like oh, yeah. scope to them. Mm-hmm. And then there's like guys like me that were like, I just wanted to eat. So like I would uh, play basketball, like I was good at basketball. So I would pick people on my team based on how many pies they would bring me. These old, like these like hostess pies. <laughs> yeah. So I'd have a backpack full of pies and guys would be like, I got two pies. I'm like, all right, man, you, you're rolling with me today. Then they get to stay on the court. You get yeah. to stay on the court. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You get to play. <laughs> you're I, in the starting you. three. So I'd have like them. So it was always a win-win because that meant that I wouldn't have to pass the ball to anybody because mm-hmm. they all suck. And then... And, <laughs> <laughs> you know <laughs> yo i only got one shot man i brought you two pies today. yeah what's going and, on yeah and then, uh, and then but they'd be like man thanks for picking me i'm like yeah just bring the pies man <laughs> my entrepreneurial hey, pay to play man yeah pay to play it was literally legit pay to play and then the thing, i had no vision so it was always like the end was me eating excess yeah. as like a rail thin basketball player but yeah i'm paying the price for it now <laughs> man uh next time we play basketball i have to bring some hostess pies man dude the cream filled ones like my my best my longtime best friend and we used to say we're cousins but he's like he got better later we became good friends later but in junior high school i forget like he was a school bully but once he wanted to play sports he had to denounce his bulliness because he couldn't like beat people up mm-hmm. just because he wasn't as good as them so he had to like stop being a bully and he could throw down he was scary man <laughs> um it, but uh so it was weird to watch him transform because yeah, he yeah. was like a scrub so I would pick him up, and he he's scarred by it, man. He's like, man, you know how much money I spent my lunch money on bringing you pies? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh, That's man. great. That's yeah. brilliant. So you, so you sit here selling football cards. Yeah, that's amazing. In, like, elementary school. Yeah, yeah. You, do you have, I mean, is there, like, any of those left? I'm no, not- there's a few of the, like, the football drawings that I did where it would be, like, a football card, but eight and a half by 11 that are in, like, these old school plastic frames my people still have heck yeah dude that, that stuff's legit like i love that because um i don't know like i just have this vision in my head having seen the work that you do now that like i could definitely trace a line from like that to what you do now i'll see if i can get a picture i'll send it to you yeah, it'd be, be pretty legit all right so you're, so you're selling football cards that you're making mm-hmm. uh, to folks in elementary school and um I mean, does art just keep rolling with you like do you keep sticking with it um i do but it was a little a little tough um like the my peers were, were really supportive and uh probably over supportive mm-hmm. so i was thinking you know i was a badass or whatever um but every adult that i ever encountered all the way up until i was an adult was like nah 
nah, nah. So like the mm. first art teacher, you know, she's like, eh, it's okay. You know, you're doing mm. terrible with this acrylic when you paint this apple. It looks really goofy. And I'm like, man, what do you want me to do? <laughs> you're giving me finger paint stuff. So uh, then get to middle school and go into art. And I'm like, hey, cool. Can I can I do art? And they're like, yeah, it's fine. Okay, can I do year long? Nah, you're not. You're not. You don't have the, the skills. And then it was, you know, seventh, eighth grade. Well, advanced art. Well, can I jump in at advanced art? Nah, I don't think you got it. I'm really sorry. Mm. Uh, went to high school. Same damn thing. Yeah. Yeah. The high school teacher was like, yeah, I don't know, man, you know, whatever. I don't think so. Not a good fit. Um, did I did a couple of classes with them through the school. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, it was high school art, whatever. It wasn't like they weren't pushing me. Mm-hmm. They were pushing like a specific couple of kids to do oils, but nobody else in the class was allowed to use oils because they were expensive. This was it was weird hierarchy that was going on in there. Yeah. yeah. Like teacher's pet type stuff. Um. So yeah, it it was it was a constant struggle uh, to get adult validation. I think I lo- I looked for that a lot too. Interestingly, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, it was really just like drawn on the side, yeah, um, trying to mimic what I see, like copying comic book artists mm-hmm. or um, any type of like action poses, like when it, football cards, baseball cards, mm-hmm. that type of thing. It's funny, like the the art teacher. You know, a lot of times you get the art teachers that don't recognize the range that is there for makers. Mm-hmm. And so they are trying to funnel you into their comfort zone. Mm, yeah, yeah. And then if you're, that's vibe, a good way to put it. You know what I mean? And then if your vibe is not square with their vibe of what an artist is, mm-hmm. so um, that becomes a problem. Yeah, I was so a like, jerk, like super jerk. So. Yeah, I mean, I was. <laughs> I wasn't a, easy. Yeah, I was a, I was a um, heavily into hip hop, heavily into athletics. And, um, you know, I had friends that were bloods and crit. I mean, I was like heavily in a particular lane. Mm-hmm. And then there were the art kids. And I wasn't an art kid. And so um, the vibe wasn't, um, my vibe didn't um, square with my teachers very well. Right. So there was like an extra, extra layers I had to jump through. Mm-hmm. It's weird. You know, it just didn't fit. I didn't fit stereotypes of what an artistic kid was right as i got older when i was younger it did I mean, yeah because everybody's kind of like neutral when yeah, they're younger yeah, though yeah, like yeah, but as like, fashion yeah. and interests and stuff. yeah but by high school um that became a perpetual dilemma like for artists and for athletics it's like you know never squared exactly and then you're so then you're you know then you're then it, i mean i don't know how old you are but like then so if you're so you have like graffiti hip-hop culture is not um considered valid the way that it is now right because if you see a writer and they're like super nasty with their stuff you can recognize that if that's your yeah if you, if that's your thing but if you're outside of it it's all going to look the same it's all going to yeah. be extremely confusing if mm-hmm. it's not bright colors then it's not yeah. as you know attracting to yeah and yeah. then you have all the other cultural uh, baggage that comes with it the way it's associated with uh vandalism, vandalism violence, drug violence, use. right yeah. yeah so it becomes it, it gets it's so front-loaded with um baggage that you can't you either force someone back into that narrow category or you're just like, I just can't deal with like with yeah, this. Yeah, I see that. You know what I mean? Um, and, and then that stuff gets associated more so with uh, hip hop or at least when I was growing up, it was like, mm-hmm. this gets all tied together in this cultural milieu that's not mm-hmm. something I can like frame up as academic and, you know, this, how does Picasso relate to this? Hilarity is there's a lot of relationship there, but I, I can't, you know, the person's like, I can't see that. And so you either conform this way or I just can't, I can't, I can't help you. You're not, you don't got it. 
Yeah, and when that happens, uh, or when it happened to me, I just threw my hands in the air and was like, all right, this class is dumb. Here's yeah. your apple. It's whatever. And like, it kind of like demotivated me. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So then once you get out of like, once you get out of like high school experience, like, are you still doing this stuff? Like, you, you know, you get a job or something. You Are you still doing art on the side? Do you like leave it aside for a while or what? Well, I had this uh, strange experience where this uh, old school gold leaf table with a piece of glass on the top, like set into it, uh, was given to me by my grandparents. It's like, a, we're going to toss this. Do you want it? I'm like, hell yeah. I'm going to put all my drawings underneath of it. And it's going to be like a, a an art table. You look down and it's going to be all my stuff. So mm-hmm. I'm like three-fourths of the way filling it, filling it in. And uh, a friend at the time knocked the soda over on it when he spent mm-hmm. the night, didn't tell me, and it, the soda creeped in onto all the drawings. Oh, and you see like the ballpoint pen stuck to the – everything uh, raised up off of the paper. Uh, and then so I pulled the glass off and it's like, oh, my God. So that coupled with a lot of people not giving me support, uh, mm-hmm. that that really just stopped me from doing art for a while, like mm-hmm. maybe four or five, six years. I just didn't mm-hmm. touch anything. Um, that was like junior year of high school or something like that. So get out of high school, grades weren't too good, um, and started framing houses and then started uh, – locating utilities and then bam i'm in manual labor until like for the next 13 14 years dang yeah so you were doing like uh like like contracting sort of stuff well it worked for a company that would find the underground lines mark them with mm-hmm. paint you know electromagnetic um <laughs> i can't even remember what it was it was a while ago uh, yeah, yeah. Whatever the electromagnetic equipment that can pick up the mm-hmm. the lines in the ground and mm-hmm. you connect to one and then uh, run it out or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but while I was doing that, uh, one of my best friends hits me up and he's like, "Dude, I just read a book. I, man, I don't want a boss anymore. Like, wh- what can we do?" Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, like a, I think it was a like the five hour work week or five yeah, minute yeah, work yeah. week, something like that. But it inspired him because you know he was in a job that he hated and. Uh, so we started to like figure out like what kind of businesses could we start and um streetwear was like really popping off at the time mm-hmm. and i was really interested in mm-hmm. it and um you know like not having money as a kid no jordans and stuff but when i started getting money i'm like mm, okay let's mm-hmm. go so i uh, was real real interested in that scene um make a long story short started a, a streetwear brand mm-hmm. with a screen print press that an old family friend had instructed me on how, like making through a book that he had created, mm. which was like build your own screen print press and you can make a t-shirt in, in three hours or something like that. So went and got like wood and screws and speedball yep. uh, frames, you know, super cheesy stuff, but started doing it. So uh, that, that brand lasted for about maybe like two years. Mm-hmm. Um, so the whole time I was drawing, I was like, man, this is dope as hell. Well, ended up having to get a new job where the time wasn't available to do full-time work and side hustle or, you know, running a, a, a business. Um, so then the streetwear brand dissolved. And then it was, again, like a, a huge lull of no drawing. Yeah, yeah. So it's like it ebbs and flows for me yeah. for some reason. I mean, hopefully not anymore, you know. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But there is that in your past, though. Correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, totally. I think, I mean, you know, like there's the, the ebbs and flow, mm-hmm. I think is a, a, a probably a more standard part of the relationship a lot of people have with the arts. Right. We probably like to talk about, you know, because um, 
I don't know. Th- there's something. I mean, even like you were talking about with your like elementary, middle school, high school, our teachers, right? There's this, this kind of monolithic, preconceived sort of idea. And so we still tap into it uh, as professionals. And one of those is that you're always on. You're always creative. You're always making. Right? It's like it's an always sort mm-hmm. of like hamster wheel yeah. of things, right? So you always got to be original. You always got to be due. You always got to be producing. You always got to be pushing towards the av- avant-garde, whatever it is. Um, and so I think like probably most of us, we were real honest. You'd have us times where you, there's just seasons where you're like, ah, I don't really want to make anything right now. Mm-hmm. Well, it's funny. I'm, I'm just going back now and I'm thinking about, so you probably experienced this. I know I did. Um, and I've had friends that have said that it's like putting yourself in that high, like junior high, elementary school, high school state, you know, there's two things that are going on. One is you just wake up and your pants are too small because yeah, yeah. you just grow and you, you don't really have much to do with it. Mm-hmm. The other is, um, you know, the way my life was, so your life becomes structured by school. So you got, you know, you have your, you know, midpoint is Christmas and, you know, fall and spring and then summer off. Mm-hmm. So you've got these rhythms of on and off. And then, I, and then I played sports. So then you have, you know, in season, out of season. So, you know, I was a huge basketball, a holic. So like, you know, in season, I'm, cons- I mean, I was consumed 24 seven, but you have on and off. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that in those rhythms of on and off, it's just being you're just scaffolded through is is was also like I would take, you know, and I've known so many people that have said this, you know, I would draw intensive incessantly for a while and then I would just not for a couple months. Mm-hmm. I go into off season and I come back better. Yeah. yeah. And I always was, you know, as a, as a kid, I was always mystified by that. I was like, how am I better? I ain't been doing anything. Muscle memory strains like yeah, that. Strange. You could do it with with weightlifting, sports, yeah, 100%. Uh, video games, goofy as that sounds. Yeah. Like you, cut, you step back from it and you come back refreshed. You see things differently. Yep. And it allows like a different stream that you can travel down totally. that you had never seen before. Yeah, yeah, 100%. So you get used to that rhythm. Ooh. You see what I'm saying? So then you're used to it. And, but you have a lot of times you haven't thought about it. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't think about I mean, I, I didn't think about the way I think about it now. I could never even say what I'm right. saying right this second, right? Like, so, you know, I'm 45 now. So, like, now I'm like, okay. Um, then you get into this idea of 24-7. But it doesn't square with what your, a lot of people's average experience was, at least when I was growing up. I mean, I may be different now because of the way the internet, 24-hour news cycle, like, things really, we do create 24-hour expressions that just, like, never stop. Um, but, uh, and then there comes a point where I take time off, I come back, and I wasn't better. Hmm. So just like, uh, there's a point where I stopped growing. Hmm. So then, so there's something about getting to a certain place and then it becomes like, you've, you've been given a shot. So you just, you're, you're given a good head start in the sense that you grow, you know, and then there's a point where it's like, okay, now you got to decide if you're going to carry it further or not. Yeah, yeah. I guess you only grow as, as hard as you're willing to work. Yeah. At some point that kicks in because you're not like, I can't get, you know, it's like I can't get any taller. So there's like a natural cap that then has to be recognized and worked at as far as your visual work goes. And I think it took me a while to um, catch that and then mm-hmm. and then re-square that with a potential rhythm of, of you know, on and off. Mm-hmm. You know, but I had to go then into an incubation period where I like worked. You know, I had to reset and reprogram and like mm, go in. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um so did did you feel like do you feel like school was that for you or do you feel like um was jail the time that that actually um incubated that for you like reframe that whole uh experience for you where you're like 
it was it concentrated or was it in school? Was it in John Tyler or was it at VCU? Like, or was it all of that for you? So it was uh, a trip in to Texas to visit my wife's grandparents and Hmm. uncle. Uh, And I was bored in the backseat on a long ride because Mm -hmm. like I thought mesquite trees were cool and sand was cool for like the first 40 minutes. And then it's very repetitive. And um, it's something that I can appreciate now, especially because I was young when it was in my twenties when this happened. Uh, It was drawing mesquite trees as we were driving by and her grandma giving me like hella love, like tons of love. Like, I can't believe this is the greatest. It was like a little steno book with a ballpoint pen. Um, and then every time we visited, she would always be like, you still drawing, you still drawing. So she constantly like was in the back of my head, which was really cool. And you know, my wife was doing the same thing. She was in the, she was like, this is good. This is good. This is good. Um, so I, I do think it was unfortunate or fortunately, uh, in jail that I was able to think about it as a career rather than Mm -hmm. just something that everybody knows that I'm good at, or like three people Mm -hmm. know that I'm good at, uh, because you know, whoever sees it is going to have an opinion. Um, and nobody was seeing anything that I was mm-hmm. doing to just draw it and put it in a drawer or throw it mm-hmm. away or whatever. Um, so yeah, there, I think it was there because I, I was able to say, okay, I guess I could make money off of this. Um, it's going to be a, a long road, but I want to try and figure it out. Cause what I was doing prior to that, you know, it was, it was tough mentally and physically to just mm-hmm. be like out of town all the time, mm-hmm. manual labor and never like no stop, that type of thing. Um, and, uh, Prior to getting in trouble or whatever, um, my wife was doing online school and mm-hmm. she got her degree in business, bachelor's mm-hmm. degree in business uh, while I was working. So when I came home and floated this idea that, you know, I want to go to art school, um, she, she went to work and allowed me to do school and stay home with the kids to make sure that we didn't have to pay daycare, mm-hmm. um, which is like a part-time job's worth (laughs) expenses. That's crazy. Absolutely. Uh, So, yeah, I mean, I think my wife and her grandmother are probably the ones that really pushed me. And then my best friend gave me that pamphlet. So it was like a couple of catalysts that lined up um, that were completely unexpected. There's, I mean, there's always these redeem, like there's always like, uh, what do you call it? There's like the way, there's like what we go through. And it is what it is. Like, it could be hard. It could be like, I mean, man, there's plenty of reasons I could have been. I've done a lot of stuff that shouldn't have landed me places that it didn't. Let's just say that. Mm-hmm. So, and I, and I can't really make sense of why it did, didn't, didn't, did or did not happen. But all I can say is like, it, you know, um, there is like seeds of redemption always kind of sown in as these potentials that could be grown into. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? definitely. So, yeah. you know, so when you see it as a seed of redemption. It's like uh, it's like an out that you can't see when you're in it, but mm-hmm. it's there in like grabbing hold of it, and you grabbed hold of it, and it's like it led you out in a mm-hmm. redemptive way. So it was there, and it was there before you got there, which is kind of amazing. And I think that's like even why we ha- we had these conversations because you real like I think we were three years going we're going into mm-hmm. our third year is the amount like you said two things that I think are consistent that are big. It's like you got some reinforcement, mm-hmm. but you also got some no. Yeah, you know, more no than yes. More no sure. than yes. And yeah. so that creates these um these problems that people don't realize. And you can go back to your like since before I could remember, like 
what gets me is like you can remember your mom carrying your work to her office. Yeah. So like like I believe yeah, she always told me I was a beast for sure. Yeah, I believe that stuff. Like I mean, I had to you know my story was that my kindergarten teachers would send letters to my mom saying keep your son in art. Nice. I mean, and like that was you know my parents were like, but like it 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 um, those things like meant something. And the point is like there's that little bit of time that we're alive where a lot can matter, and it it has a formative potential. So there was enough of a seed sown so that it was still there, even against all the no's. Right. You know, which is kind of an incredible story. And it happens to a lot of people, man. Like a lot of people. And then you and then it shows too, like that external validation from people that are older than us or that have other spheres of responsibility helps us trust that we're moving in a direction that's meaningful. And so you're like, man, I need I need to hear from somebody that I should be doing this. Right. Because like when you're an art and you're a kid, I don't know how it is now. You know, I don't know. My kids are in a home full of art. So, like, I don't know what it's like anymore. Yeah. But I know that it was completely opaque and mysterious because I didn't know any artists, really. You know, like, I could watch MTV raps or I could watch, like, behind-the-scenes stuff on MTV and find out what it's like to be a musician. Right. But I never could find out what it's like to be an artist. I had no, you know, I read a comic book, and I'm like, who's Jim Lee? Mm-hmm. I, I think can't. a lot of that comes down to parents. Like if you force your kids to go to a gallery, then maybe they'll experience it. If you're creating art in front of them, they'll experience yeah. that too. Yeah. So yeah, if you have parents that that's just not their thing, mm-hmm. then it might be hard to uh, get exposed to that type of stuff. Yeah. It may be easier now because kids can hop on YouTube and find a documentary. It's way easier now. Yeah. yeah Cause if oh you could go a t-shirt, you could make a t-shirt and then bam, in yep. 30 minutes, you've already watched three YouTube videos yep. and hook you up. Totally knowledge. different world. For real. Yeah. But we didn't, we didn't have that. That wasn't there. No, no, no. We had the yeah. library yep. in school and, mm-hmm. yeah. and there are eight art books that were all of Renoir. Yeah. Bob Ross. Yeah. Bob Ross. Yeah. Bob Ross book and then like some random, uh, yeah, like a, maybe a good comic book book, like how to draw the Marvel way or something. I used to yeah. check out books just because of the covers and then 100%. use that like, oh man, this, this is going to be great. Never was, but uh, <laughs> the yeah. covers were great. Man, I, I gave away... Once I got serious and went back to college, I gave away like 20 books that were all based on the look of the cover. I was like, none of these ever did anything for me. <laughs> and then now I'm like, man, I should have kept those books. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> well, I think it's interesting even what you're saying, Ian, like the uh, – you had p- plenty of people like that were like naysayers and like doubters and stuff, but it, it still wasn't like – it wasn't providing 100% stop to what you were doing. Like they weren't they weren't That's shutting you point. down. Right. You know what I mean? Like they, they definitely weren't helping at all. And so I think what's interesting about it is you just look at the, the, the different kind of almost like the percentages of people who were, who were saying no and the, and the two big ones that were saying yes. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's really an encouraging thing to talk about because it doesn't take as much encouragement to get somebody flying pretty high and moving in the right direction. Like it takes a whole lot less encouragement to get somebody moving in the right direction than it does discouragement to get somebody to stop 100%. Yeah, yeah. I guess that's why I was even going to that question of the concentrated amount of time. Yeah, you know, yeah. Whether it comes one way or the other, it makes me wonder like about, edu- I mean, this is a tangential, but about education. And, you know, so like if you're put into an environment as a kid where you're you're there and you've been given a a rounded shot, like you're like, you, let's say you're six and you're in VCU school of the arts, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, of, of six year olds mm-hmm. where yeah. you're like, you're welcomed in. And that's the basis for how you, you're learning to read and everything else. It's like, what, what does that produce? Mm-hmm. Does that mean that you don't have to go through that concentrated period of time in the future because it's been established early 
to set the course because you've gotten uh, both validation and a really uh, rounded view of of how this matters right up front. It makes you wonder, you know what I mean? Well, uh, Russian drawing schools have have yeah. kids in there early. Um, yep. I'm not as well versed in Asian culture, but they have a lot of uh, line drawing yep. that constant, like it's just repetition to get these these students to be able to use their hand like a magic wand. And mm-hmm. um, I don't, that's interesting though. I'd love to see like, did they progress early? Like, were yeah. they? Did they peak early twenties, mm-hmm. or did yeah. they peak in the in their sixties? Like, yeah, maybe some people in the United States do. Yeah, yeah, it's just an interesting question about like, I guess one way or the other, it just feels like we need time that clarifies the necessity for us to do it, and then you, you know, then that's why people go into residency stuff later. Mm-hmm. It's because they've gotten and they need to recharge. So you're like, I got to get into hmm. residency. I need some time. Yeah, I think it's also yeah. why you see students coming out of, or not even coming out of, but just like in the last year or two of art school that think that it's like a really unique thing for them to be like, I don't know that I want to do this. And it's like, well, you've only had a little bit of concentrated time in it to really figure out if it is what you want. Yeah. You know, but we've set such a kind of an industrial complex on like the time and effort that has to be exerted within those four years of undergraduate work. Right. Like, yeah, you this, no this is your vector for life that you couldn't possibly change your mind mm-hmm. or do it different, which is what I really love about your story, man. I mean, like, you know, you were saying to your friend, like, well, I'm not going to go to art school in my 30s, mm-hmm. but I love the fact that you did, right? Because, uh, I mean, what, and, and speaking from personal experience here, uh, having had you in classes, the the perspective you bring with that experience benefits everybody in that class. Oh, thank you. I mean, like, because you don't, it's not a flippant, I think. It's a, I know. Like, I've experienced. Right. I've been there. Also, like, this isn't just a, a thing for me. It, it actually is, like, what I'm moving toward in my life. Mm-hmm. And that's a, that's a real different place to be. And I think that gets to your point about, like, what would it be like if we had, like, those younger kids in those places? Mm-hmm. Would it alleviate some of that? Yeah, I mean, yeah, definitely. Like, I mean, I, I mean, this existed, right? Like, I was telling my kids, like, Salvador Dali w- was so good. You know, he went and he, they sent him right into a school that was made for artists. You learned mm-hmm. everything, but it was for art, right? And then, um, you know, he was so good that he was a rebel. And at 16, he was like, F this place, I'm out. Like, this place is, you <laughs> yeah. know, like they were throwing him out. And he was just too good. And he was, like, discontent. Mm-hmm. So he was an anomaly. And he was a, he was a you know, brilliant. He's a savant. Um, you know, and we don't have to be a savant to be doing this. So right. there's every, everybody else. So it's like, what does that look like? And I just think education, man, it needs to be revisited. And so it just it just makes me think about, like, the way we learn, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I, and, so I think that. And this is going to be an unpopular opinion, but I think that everybody has the ability to draw and everybody's creative at some point in their childhood. And there's a huge disconnect between childhood creativity and adult creativity. There's a Mm -hmm. lot of stigma attached to it. Um, And I'm so sorry. I lost my train of thought. Well, I agree with you. No, I I think I I I would say drawing is a, as a drawing professor, drawing is a skill that can be learned. Right. Artistry is what you do. So, like, I can learn grammar in English. What I say with it is predicated on me, my desires, my capacities. Right. Mm-hmm. Some of us can write poetry. Some of us can't. Some of us, like, if you think of, like, there's people that are lyricists, and then there's people that are, like, that can rap, and then there's, there's people that barely get by. All of them are, are in the, the genre getting paid different right. levels, right? 
But so, I mean, in every sphere of uh, creativity, we see that, mm-hmm. you know, like I can strum some chords and guitar, but I'm, I'm not a song. I like, like I'm not a musician. Right. You know what I mean? Like, and so I think, but I could probably learn not like as a brag. I mean, because there's enough teaching and because it's knowable, mm-hmm. I can know how to play the guitar probably pretty well. And it increases the likelihood that I may do something of uh, artistic value with exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? But but that requires duration and work and uh, recognition of where you're at and where you're not. Mm-hmm. Um, and diligence on the educational side as well. 100%. And so to your point, like I taught elementary to sixth grade and, and um, I could, I did, I used to do this experiment. I would ask kids, kindergarten, who's an artist? Everybody. First grade, who's an artist? Everybody. Second grade, who's an artist? Everybody. Third grade, who's an artist? Everybody. Fourth grade, who's an artist? And everybody would point to Damn. one kid. Like yeah. clockwork, yeah. Year, year in and year out. And so they say, there's even studies done that say uh, it's around fourth grade, people start to break down into um, identities that designate one for the other. Uh, yeah, that's super interesting because uh, it, it with the children, it was like, or with my son more so, it eight reaching eight years old which is like what you're talking about um he had, he, he had a path that he chose and it was crazy to see that at that early he's like yeah. i'm gonna play video games and i'm gonna be a baseball player and mm-hmm. i'm gonna play video games with, and my baseball fans can watch me play video games i'm like man that's brilliant but where did that even come from <laughs> uh but prior to that, there was no professional talk. There was no future mm-hmm. talk. It was just, you know, eight-year-old kids though, or seven-year-old kids though. Yeah. And so something something starts to – so, I mean, to your point, there's the way a person – you start to notice, like, some are better at things than others. And so kids started would start to notice, like, well, this kid's the artist because they draw realistically. Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. instead of it being yeah. – instead of it being they draw realistically, which doesn't – guarantee they're they're an artist it just means they draw realistically because it's a skill you can learn right and so artistry is wider than that in you know there may be the um like i taught kids so i had a kid who who um was a troublemaker and um teachers just had a hard time with him and uh he i taught him how to draw but he had some creative capacity so the better he got at drawing the more interesting things he made the more the class, he was the worst student in the class as, as just a general student. So it was at this elementary school called Elk Grove. I'm forgetting his name now, but he, it was amazing because the better he got, the more it threw all the kids off because he started getting <laughs> praise in the class. The praise in the class connected him to succeeding to where he started to do good in his other subjects. Damn. He, mm-hmm. it off, That's validation. Yeah. It offset. Work. Yep. It offset the whole climate of the room. And it scrambled people's categories because they had, he was considered one of the least like artistic kids. Mm-hmm. And it was crazy, man. So, and so when I saw him, I'm like, this kid is, this kid is like got an energetic thing. Mm-hmm. If he gets a little confidence through having a handle on, on, you know, doing things in a recognizable way that will undergird him being creative. And then, you know, maybe he'll get excited. Right. And it did, it worked. And, um, it threw off the kids that were really tight and technical. Because he had extra that they didn't have. Like a little bit more lively, yeah, lively line work. Yeah, like yeah. he just, because he was, I mean, I mean, he was a disgruntled kid. I mean, he, he was, he was like aware of things to be disgruntled about. 
I don't know how to explain it, man. Like he's an African American kid. Mm -hmm. So he's in this school and um this is a great school, man. Great school. It's just how kids are, you know what I mean? Um I, dude, there was amazingly talented kids. There are a couple of kids that when they were in fourth grade, they're playing in the G League in the NBA. And I, I've never seen a kid where I knew in fourth grade that they were probably gonna be in the NBA. They, like this kid, Darren Robinson, Jer Darren Johnson. And I was like, dude, so there's this group of kids, man. They were all really unusually talented, but they were also all troublemakers. They just like, but it's because they had aspirations and the academic system didn't totally square with that. Yeah, that, that yep. you know what I'm saying? So you come in and you start re reprioritizing things, all of a sudden they start doing better in school, but the emphasis was different, you know? Um, I think what's, it, what's weird, but kind of positive, once things like, became overly monetized or the ability to monetize something became broader than what it was like when we were kids. Mm -hmm. um, I think it allowed parents to be more willing to uh, curate that yeah. experience for their kids. So it's like, well, mm -hmm. I mean, he can make a living out of that. So that's true. Let's, let's facilitate uh, growth or yep. support. I think that's a great point. Yeah. I mean, for real, cause I, I grew up playing soccer. And I was I was a kid when like professional soccer kind of came back to the states, you know, because it had been here in the seventies, kind of fizzled out. So it comes back. Um, before that, like you might play soccer to like get you to college, right? Get a scholarship, but it wasn't like you weren't orienting your life to an extent where this mm -hmm. was like what you were gonna do, right? You know, because I mean, what you're gonna play in some minor league team somewhere, some kind of indoor soccer club, making thirty grand a year, having to have another job anyway. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it really wasn't it. But now. You know, you can go make a career of it. That's crazy. They, they have that option. Yeah. And, and it would completely change. It completely changes the way folks look at it. Yeah. Because uh, I never I never had an aspiration. It was like, yeah, I'll go play in college if they'll give me some money for it. But there was no, like, I'm not worrying my life around it. But yeah. it was that monetization of it that can change. Because I had kids that grew up where they're definitely thinking that way about baseball. Yeah, basketball, football, mm -hmm. but not soccer. Shoot, kids. I don't think I had anybody thinking about making money from from playing sports, and we were good. Like, man, I I was like sophomoric in my mind. I was like, I just want to play sports. Yeah, yeah. I did. I just want to draw. So you you want to be an artist? Yeah, I want to be an artist. But yeah, I was having no, no idea money. what that's going to be. Even know like. what that means. I just know mm -hmm. I like to draw. Yeah, you know, no category. I mean, I didn't get that till late. It didn't really click until I, mean, I got a taste of it in my senior year of high school. But like, it it didn't click until like late embarrassingly late well i mean yeah uh, me either i also went to school with kids who were like yeah i'm gonna go pro and everybody was like no, no you're not yeah like we know you're not what's well, <laughs> so that's a, that's another interesting thing we grew up around that you know uh a percent of a percent of a percent becomes mm -hmm. pro so yeah maybe yeah. that shouldn't be your priority maybe that shouldn't be where your passion is which is mm -hmm. such a strange concept like maybe that's where your passion shouldn't be yeah you need to mm -hmm. direct it elsewhere yeah no no yeah. i mean that's a yeah, and I think, you know, you have uh, – but in some ways, like, that's that that's a pretty watered-down thing that I experienced as a kid in the arts is the folks are like, yeah, do it because it's inconsequential. Hmm. So, yeah, sure, why not? You know, hey, cool, there's a little art little art thing you can do that's inconsequential. Yeah. You know, which was, which was always weird because both my parents are musicians. So, like, we grew up in a house full of art. I mean, I joke with folks and say I didn't know pop music was a thing until I was in junior high, but it's mm -hmm. kind of true because it was classical and jazz. Like okay. that's, that's what we that's what we had. Anytime my dad was in the car, he had classical music on. We were around the house doing stuff. He had jazz on. And if he didn't have that, it was like Eric Clapton, BB King. 
Nice. So <laughs> that's a good base of yeah. You grown up with that. that stuff. Like that's what you get. Um, so my parents weren't saying it's inconsequential, but it was always a, oh, isn't that nice mm-hmm. from a lot of other folks. That's what gets you doing it in secret. So then you're, yeah. you're in secret drawing late at night because people are like, yeah, that's the easy way out. And mm-hmm. you're like, man, but I got to do this. You yeah, know? for real. It's whack, man. It's, it's, um, it's sad, but it ho- hopefully that, I mean, how's that, how's that shifted for you now, man? Like you go to, v- like, so you go to VCU and are you working in your work? outside of vc or are you just honed in on on the education piece uh so at at john tyler um graphic design was talked about then it was like well you could do design work for companies like logos websites and stuff and i was like that seems pretty pretty easy to do um Mm -hmm. and then fell into i don't want to say like i was a I don't know. I barely got paid for the first six months of helping this guy do websites and logos and mm-hmm. then started to barely get paid after that mm-hmm. um, while I was going to school with John Tyler because I wanted to learn how to do websites and then I wanted to create like amazing landing pages for companies mm-hmm. and maybe throwing some drawing in there, but really wasn't focused on that uh, until getting to VCU. Uh, didn't I honestly, I didn't like the design work. Like at first it was great to see it like, the website published business cards printed like damn yeah this is this is dope um but then it was you know you didn't want to talk to somebody who wanted to make sure that they had all their kids names in the logo uh their color color scheme is based off of like their grandma's wallpaper that they loved as a child mm-hmm. and so that that kind of pushed me in a different direction luckily yeah um and then at VCU, it was like, well, what could you do? So then a lot of the professors had different specialties and you got to see how they churned work out. And then, you know, I, I'm a little older than most of the students. So then I go and research and see how much money they're making mm-hmm. doing their, their specific type of work. And because I'm older and I'm back in school, I, I have a, a personal responsibility to turn this into something that's going to generate that's right. a profit. Otherwise, you know, damn, man, that's a lot you got of a time. Yeah. 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 There's real weight there. Yeah. yeah and I'd love there. to take stress off of my wife too. Cause yeah. she's the main breadwinner killing it. Mm-hmm. Um, but she just keeps pushing me, man. And tells me, yo, it's, it's okay. You'll get there. It's gravy, man. Let's mm-hmm. do it. So super fortunate for that. I don't Can know if go, I answered your question. Yeah. So you're going through <laughs> school then and you're, you're just, you're analyzing, trajectory while in school yeah and 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 then at the end of it chose editorial illustration which is extremely tough you're constantly selling yourself to people you're constantly Mm -hmm. getting told no or completely ignored yeah uh and the pay is good if you can get up to mainstream media Mm -hmm. covers and stuff Mm -hmm. um so it kind of goes back to when everybody was being like, nah, man, I don't know. Nah, nah. And then I go and choose that as an option. It was super weird. I don't know why I did that. I was going to say, man, that's an incredible See, I mean, I look at that as like redemptive seed sown early into your experience is to, I've been going through my own thing with this. And so I'm just like, man, I think that's just real dude. Like you're probably supposed to be doing this and you were, you were being prepared hmm. to, to like bat 200 and call it success. Like, you know, baseball, you bat 250, man, or 275 or something, man. You're, you bat 300, you're legendary. Yeah, you're Hall of Fame. Yeah, you're yeah. Hall of Fame all the time, right? <laughs> so if you're batting 256, like, dude, you're killing. You're, you're, in the, you're probably in an all-star game. Mm-hmm. Right. So, I mean, if we had that metric for what we're doing, you've, you've probably been set up 
in some ways to be able to step in and handle that. Like, and you're totally connecting it that way, which I think is awesome. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing. I, I completely, that, that makes total sense to me too. Like looking at it just the way, especially you're telling a story uh, of how you got from place to place is like, yeah, if you kind of were used to people like saying, nah, 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 and you being like, cool, whatever, then it makes sense. You're doing editorial illustration. Cause I mean, you know, there, there's a, this stuff like you're talking about graphic design that's not not always the most awesome. Like the other side of that coin is the hey, here's here's the work I'm pitching, and eight nine times out of ten, it's a nah nah nah. Right. Like you, there's you got to have like a resiliency there. Yeah, you got to have a, a lot of no's to get to yes. And it's an intangible that you like. You don't. What do you, you get taught that in class? You ever have a class where they taught you about resiliency and hearing no? You know yeah. What I mean? You know, you uh, usually don't. Not at all. It comes from other things. It comes from other experiences. You kind of get that with critiques and stuff in class, but a lot of times, you know, unfortunately, you might not get trashed as much as you should. Yeah. No, um, I spent, man, real. in my situation, it was unique because uh, I was the oldest in all the classes, mm -hmm. so some people didn't really want to like even speak up, and mm -hmm. so it would be like my turn, and it's crickets, and then the teacher goes in on it because they can tell that I was interested and put the work in, like sitting there with a notepad, mm -hmm. going to take every single note that everybody says about this stuff yeah. to the point where I'm like, yo, can you guys say something, man? This is corny. Like, <laughs> yeah. And then you know, some people are like, well, yeah, it's nice. Yeah. I like that. I like that sun that you put in the corner. Let's maybe feel like elementary school again. <laughs> uh, yeah, for real. And but, but I think that that yeah, the resiliency part of that that comes from having those those, those really good all in critiques that comes from like life experiences you have of kind of being like beat down but persistent and stuff. Right. Like I think those those are really important things for longevity of a career. Yeah, it also goes. I mean, I'm biased. Like I came back to school a little later, so I went back when I was 25. And um, I didn't know what I didn't know, but I felt this internal need to catch up and that, catch up to what I don't know. But at the time, it's what I had. So I ended up blowing past everybody without knowing it because I was like, nah, I've been working. I've been like, I've been I, like, I know what's I know what else is there. I've been doing that. So mm -hmm. I'm here. I'm getting everything out of this. Like <laughs> yeah. I ain't sleeping on anything. So I'm taking notes. I'm I'm like, tell me. Right. You know what I mean? I'm desperate. And I didn't realize how much that real world difference was galvanizing my education mm -hmm. until like until a couple of years later and then it was like people were like oh, like you're you're kind of killing it like you're it's almost like it didn't matter anymore that right. i had taken time off or you know had some things happen so it's like sometimes man i think that's like that i always tell students like there's just no one way to be successful no i mean you're gonna learn that stuff either way yeah. whether it's before or after school yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. you know i mean like it's it, it's life isn't gonna I like life, not like life says, hey, did you go to college first? Yeah. Okay, well, cool. Okay, Stuff cool. will be really chill. Now. Yeah, we're going to spare you some trouble. <laughs> yeah. We'll no, just... but, you know, I, I, that was force-fed to a lot of people for a oh, long yeah. time. Yep. This is golden ticket. Oh, you know? it's like ring knocking. Like, uh, uh -huh. I, that's that's your door in. Mm -hmm. So go ahead and do that. No, yeah. For real. And it, and, and it may be, right? There may be certain places where that's true. Oh, like but, certain professions and stuff? Yeah, there yeah. may be certain professions that's true. But, you know, when you talk about art and design, like, you still can have that conversation where it's like, if you want this bad enough and you actually got it, like that desire, that passion really is in you. Like you don't have to go to school. Mm -hmm. Yeah, It's going to benefit you. Oh yeah. Or it yeah, can, yeah. but at the same time you can go to school with none of that passion and there's yeah. no benefit. Yeah. Yeah. Very true. And so I think, you know, it's, it's tough because we want to, we want to have our, we want to have our metric, we want to have our systematized thing and say, this is how it works. This mm -hmm. is what it is, you know, make it. And there's different reasons for that, but 
you know, uh, we're all going to bring those experiences yeah. into what we do. So, you know, um, I don't know. I'd love to see more students that kind of come in with more of a mindset, some stuff made up, you know, like I've, I've got a couple of years out of high school, you know, I did some stuff. I worked. At yeah, Jeff. man, I've seen, I'd love it. It's funny. I had a student current student that took a year off yeah. before they came to high school. And just that one year was a difference maker in their maturity. And their I believe day. it. And they were working like as a, a waitress. So they had like a really, when, you know, you just enter into the workforce for a bit, man, you start, taking it from people you start seeing how not everything is rosy and but you're also getting um the experience of being paid whatever you're paid for the work you do those things start to push on you man like i mean i had had years of doing work hard work mm-hmm. you know for little and um yeah it, it definitely <laughs> yeah before that i mean i just was like a a, a freshman in college like I said, just drawing, skipping class, drawing on desks and bathroom stalls. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like, man, I don't want to do any of this. Like, mm-hmm. I, I don't want to do school. I just want to play real. sports and do art. Like, yeah, you know. And in college, they're like, they'll let you do that, and then they'll tell you you're academically <laughs> ineligible now. And I'm like, what? Like, what do you mean? Aww. Like, I made this dope, <laughs> this dope desk in the back of math class. Like, that doesn't be, count for nothing. Yeah, it doesn't count for nothing. Nah, that, that oh. 37 on your math test actually counts. Yeah. <laughs> Good night. Uh, yeah. so yeah, finding your reason for college, man, like, I mean, it sounds to me like you had a reason, um, which changes, I think the way you go through the experience. Also, I think that's intimidating to people that don't have a reason. Oh yeah, definitely. It um, is. Yeah. especially, you know, when it comes to like question asking and, um, and even like levels of intrigue start to decrease with, um, the doubt that comes along with being an artist uh, in school and not really knowing which lane you fit in yet or wanting to fit in one and trying to force yourself into it over and over and over mm-hmm. again while all these other opportunities are are screaming at you to yeah. tell you to come and grab them. Yep. Yeah, because, I mean, there's, like, uh, I, I've, I've not met a lot of folks that just have unbridled, untapped curiosity outside of, like, small kids, right? <laughs> Joe Rogan, I mean, dude. Yeah, I mean, there's people who, like, very few people who are just like, oh, I just want to know a bunch of stuff. That's actually me. I'm, like, super weird about that. (laughs) But I say most people I meet with curiosity, their thing is, like, they usually have it because it it accomplishes some end. Like I'm curious because what what I'm curious about can actually do something for me. Yeah. Like I'm not I'm not just curious because I want to fill my head with knowledge. Right. But a lot of folks are like, hey, I I need to know the answer to this because it actually is helpful. Okay. I need to know what's up about this because it can it could benefit me in a way, mm-hmm. you know. And so I think there's there's times that that can be missing. Uh, people will be like, oh, I'm creative, so I don't need to be curious. And it's like I don't know. I think that I think they're you got to have both of those things. Yeah, I definitely think it's both. I and I'm not curious enough. <laughs> which is which is funny because I would <laughs> I would never like pick up on that having yeah, talked to you as not, much as we do. Yeah, I'm not curious enough. I don't ask enough questions. Well, I'm gonna. I'm gonna keep critiquing you on that then. Yeah. I'm just gonna harp it. on that. Right <laughs> no, I'm being, I mean, I'm being serious. Like, cause I've seen people and I'm like, yeah. Cause I don't, I, I'm a, or it's like I'm efficient to certain areas where I'm mm. cur- curious, but other areas I'm like, I cannot afford to go there cause I'll get lost. Yeah. Cause yeah. I'll start asking questions and never come back. I don't have time for this. <laughs> I ain't got time for it. <laughs> I gotta say no to something. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's real. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like, um, I don't know. Like, I think it's even a, a thing where I could I could see, you know, the potential when you're going through classes of, of having students that were just like, man, he's just asking all these questions all the time. Yo, I got I got that everywhere. The <laughs> teachers like that ate it up. They oh, it yeah. We, we love that stuff, man. Um, like, one of you is engaged. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, that's like, thank you for actually being present and caring. Yeah. There's a value in that. <laughs> totally. 
Yeah, I actually ended up becoming friends with uh, the ones that critiqued my art the most, I think, because then I could talk to them afterwards. And, Makes sense. And then I'd be like, yo, so is that really what you thought? What do you think about this? And then that kind of hopefully made them feel good about uh, speaking out in class and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I asked I asked questions to the point where the teachers or the professors were like, uh, could you talk to me after class? And then, you know, in the middle of talking, they'd be like, I got to go. Can you, can we, you know, do this <laughs> yeah. later, next class maybe? But it is always nice. I mean, because um, I think, you know, within teaching spaces, especially within uh, creative uh, career spaces, um, you're not getting everything in a class time. Mm -mm. Like, there's just no way. So it's always, a, it's always a huge encouragement to have a student who's like, hey, I got a question for you. Because you're like, oh, okay, we can get into the specifics right. about it. Because I'm not having to answer a question for 18 or 30 people mm -hmm. and kind of having to judge how it works for all of them. But I can I can speak to you specifically mm -hmm. since you're asking this, which is fantastic and I think hugely beneficial for most students. Um, if, I'm just being, if the students are asking and they're working towards clarity of the ask. Well, yeah, definitely. And yeah. if they're willing to apply the answer enough to either let it answer the question or raise a better question. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was my assumption yeah. with, with this. I'm just saying that for all my students. Yeah. It's not, it's not the, <laughs> not the student who goes, Oh, so the metric says yeah, that I yeah, need to ask exactly. you a question after I'm just, class. I'm just saying this is a self-preservation for <laughs> any totally. student in the future who's listening or. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, please, if you could ask us questions that yeah, pertain to nothing. Don't randomly class, ask questions that you don't really care about. Yeah, totally. Yeah, or that you don't actually think about at all. Or that are just that's, not necessary questions. Yeah. So yeah. do you really think what, what you said is true? Yeah. No, yes. I, I lied to you during class. <laughs> yes, I can tell you the truth I now. 100% do. <laughs> please believe me. Yeah. Um, so, all right, so you're going through VCR to get all this stuff done. Um, you graduate. And uh, where, where are you at that point? Like, uh, are you still kind of like... Were you 100% student up until the end? Were you juggling like uh, side jobs and things like that? Like what, how was life kind of looking at that graduation point for you? It was 100% student. Gotcha. Um, I had reached out to a couple of art directors to try and, you know, see what they thought um, and didn't get any hits for probably like six months. So it was, it was six months of just like drawing family stuff. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, it was, it was interesting. Um, but then it was cool because, you know, it kind of waterfall to get, get one client, get another client, get another client. And then you use the, the client work that you just got yep. to send to the next group of art directors and stuff. Mm -hmm. And my art director uh, list grew. Um, that didn't bring any more work in, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, it's something that's, uh, that's tough about an editorial illustrator you probably get more jobs by creating physical work and then sending it to art directors with mm. a written letter than email blasts with a couple JPEGs and a website address. But that's expensive. Yeah. And it and it's laborious. Yeah. And, yeah, uh, it's so real. You don't even get, like, confirmation from them receiving that, you know, through snail mail and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, I guess unless you're putting real money into it and certifying. Yeah. But they, nobody's certifying flyers or right. mailers or whatever. Right, right, mm -hmm. right. Um, so it was really just blasting and uh, sitting back and hoping for work. And at times it was real daunting, like, oh, man, this isn't going to pop off, maybe. Um, but luckily, the concept of the more work you do, 
the better the work is going to be had me just doing my own projects and coming up with my own ideas and then just trying to see what fit and it you know it was weird it took a couple of it took like a year and some change for me to finally digest the concept of um making work that you want to do and then presenting that to people so that they expect that back from you mm-hmm. it wasn't like that at first like I, I i did certain things because i know that they worked um especially through school uh and a lot and even in university like there's still i don't know you can't use collage work on this project it's only painting or it's this is a, this is a pencil assignment you still get kind of put in those areas i understand why and mm-hmm. i see benefits to to that uh specificity in in the um curriculum but uh yeah i don't know if i answered your question again <laughs> no no it's good like so so you're sitting there and you're like doing the hustle and just trying to get these folks and you said like six months like nothing no hits no bites no nothing. yeah easy yep. um how were you feeling during those six months it was uh it was humbling yeah yeah um and there was plenty of times where i thought to myself like am i not gonna make any money unless i spend money like Mm -hmm. obviously the first step um is a website nowadays Mm -hmm. and you know then it's like you know what social media do i need to jump down do i need to have a subscription to this do i need to hire an art director or not Mm -hmm. an art director um you know somebody to shop my art around for me Mm -hmm. um how many mailers do i send out how consistent do i send them out yeah who do i send them out so uh what do you feel like i mean i gotta be careful here because i work at vcu but you feel like any of that was discussed in your education those questions man i don't want to sound like egotistical but a lot of that stuff i don't think was going to be brought up in my classes unless i brought it up mm-hmm. you know no, like, i don't think yeah i think that's real there's that's a couple fair. of classes that vcu offers for students that point you in the right direction um okay. and they they have a template that's you know logo website mm-hmm. sales pitch letter uh good luck you know you're gonna yep. have to work hard and then then everything yeah. will work out for you yep yeah it's a it's a yeah <laughs> yeah you're right so um, um but your uh, class gave me a ton of um entrepreneurial energy mm-hmm. um that i didn't get from any of the other classes a lot of the the professors were reluctant to talk about how much they made, how much they sold stuff for. So then you weren't able to price things as well. Mm-hmm. You had to do your own research and stuff. Mm-hmm. But coming to your class, it was like you had a plan to explain to everybody how they could create a plan. Mm-hmm. And that's that's really beneficial to uh, a young person especially. But just to a growing artist or or one that's about to step out into the real world of professional art outside of school um yeah and that stuff's important right because that that's the world we live in like that's that's the reality of it like you know if um i don't know if you had somebody who was going into like a a restaurant tour sort of program and they were like let's just imagine you had to buy supplies let's not talk about how much that would actually be right but just assume you got to do that for running you got to buy food for a Mm -hmm. restaurant and then they were like all right let's let's plate some stuff yeah yeah, and you know you'd be like i'm getting gypped Right. Also, you know, so not to, I don't want to chase this down hard at all, but just to say that even when you get into discussions about the nature of diversity, so yeah, you know, every aspect of diversity intersecting 
including economic diversity. Oh, heck yeah. So by not addressing economic disparity and giving uh, reasonable metrics for uh, where one may be starting, mm-hmm. um, you're defaulting to a kind of um, economic privilege uh, by, by virtue of being ambivalent or ambiguous. You see what I'm saying? Because you're, yeah, yeah, because you're, you're defaulting to some kind of gen- generalized assumption. As a kid who grew up poor, uh, I didn't want to ask questions about like like there needed to be more thresholds um, established that had an, an inviting posture to it, right? Not the uh, blind assumption that I knew how to uh, do anything, mm-hmm. let alone balance my checkbook. Because I mean, I grew up totally. poor, like so. I'm like, I don't even know what questions I should be asking, you know, from where I was coming from. So I'm like, you know, those discussions going forward are are I think uh, increasingly imperative. Because like nobody sat down. With, I, the best conversation I got was, "You're going to go into debt for something, mm. uh, a home, you know, which I'm there, or your education, which I did." And they're like, "Go for your education, bank on yourself." That was, I mean, that's the most I got. And I was like, "This mm. is amazing. Thank you for helping me." And then I'm like, <laughs> drowning in hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt. I'm like, multiple master degrees later, I'm like, "Oh my gosh, yeah, what yeah. did I do?" But I mean, you know, that's how starved I was for direction on the practicality of what you're talking about mm-hmm. and how much is needed and, and is difficult because you got to get specific because mm-hmm. we're specific people. We're not, you know, uh, abstract beings that just kind of intuit the specifics later. Well, yeah. I, I, you don't get an opportunity to uh, embrace like the economic side of art if you're somebody that flourishes in the abstract or in the imagination of things and you're like, mm-hmm. you know, you're an artist that's got so much movement and ability. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, a lot of times it's kind of, I think it's frowned upon for them to start, well, how much, how much am I gonna make off of this? Totally. How much, how much can yeah. I make? How much should I make? Um, should I shortchange myself now so that I'm, you know, just putting money in my pocket? That's it. Like, yeah. you don't, if you talk to somebody that was a little bit more, outgoing creatively i feel like they don't have an opportunity to get serious with it uh when it comes to their peers therefore it might stop them from asking questions in class which then doesn't allow that subject to maybe get brought up in that course and Mm -hmm. then boom these uh, this group just went to the next step and they missed out on a whole lot because people were reluctant to be like yo how do i get paid because you know, if you're just out there to get paid, then you're not an artist, right? Yep, that's the that's always the and trope, it, and it's always it's it, inauthentic if you want to get it's cheap. Yeah, you want to get paid, it's cheap, and I felt guilty. I was like, I, as a poor kid, then you're like, well, I'm supposed to be poor so yeah. I can be an authentic artist, so I'm just going to maintain that. Yeah, and then you know, then I'm learning later in life. I mean, I'm freed up now, but that's been after a lot of years. Even hang, him and I hanging out a lot together, it's like levels of freedom where you're like, yeah, I can have both. I don't got to be. I don't got to feel bad at providing for my family and. Um, and I know that doesn't inauthenticate, inauthenticate my work. Um, but that's a mindset that's profoundly built into us and can haunt you forever. Mm-hmm. And if you just, you know, you just sit down and like roll through the, the Rolodex of your mind, all the folks you you've known over the years who have bounced out of art or design, like tally up on one side, the folks who did it because they, they had to, they had to eat, had to pay mm-hmm. rent and they bounced out for something else. And then the folks who were like, I was getting paid a whole bunch of money, but I lost the passion for it. I've met maybe one of those people. Mm-hmm. What the latter? Yeah, but it's it's usually the other. And it's uh, it, you know, what you were saying, I think it hit me pretty hard, Ryan. The uh, yeah, there's like a there's an assumption 
right? That 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 is uh, not a helpful one. That if we don't address these sort of things in all the ways that kind of like economic backgrounds are, mm-hmm. um, then what we end up doing is we uh, just assume that like, oh, you you got a you got a network of folks who can support you, yeah, as you're, as you're broke, right? Yeah, you're making a and really that's not flat the case. Yeah, it's it's um. And, you know, here, here's the rub. So for all the uh, so-called authentic artists, mm-hmm. um, they're just playing a different economy by going by going off other people's money into residencies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're writing a different check, and then it's cashed through uh, a grant, mm-hmm. right? So what are, you, what are you doing? I mean, you're, you're selling ideas. Um, you're selling possible ideas that need funding. So you cash that proposal you do that work and you get paid mm-hmm. that's what it is totally it's not so it's like so you make a an illustration for someone and you get paid and you know and then you're looked down on by the person who wrote a proposal and got paid to go make more work like uh it's real thin difference between those two Definitely. if you really start to break it down so the elitism i think the roosters come home to roost mm-hmm. like in academia especially and I think a lot of the folks that have derived their significance in elitist standing based on how many residencies they've been to and how many uh, grants they've gotten to do this work while they look down their noses at the person who's, you know, making money as a graphic designer or, you know, designing icons or logos or, mm-hmm. right. or an illustrator, right? Like those days are, are numbered and it's a thin veneer that maintains the hierarchy and the condescension. It, it, and this sifting is going on and, and, um, uh, uh, some of the discussions around equity and inclusion and all of these kinds of things are creating a, a different world mm-hmm. that has neutralized some of that um, arrogance. Well, I wonder where the disconnect was from like the twenties, thirties, where if you were an illustrator, you were going to work suit and tie. You were yeah. like one of the, mm-hmm. the upper echelon uh, print employees. Uh, yeah, you kind of got to wear a crown for a little bit and then it just completely dumped. And I don't know what started yeah. that, but the internet, hmm. I think it's the internet. You know what I mean? Because there was so much power. So whatever is the powerful. So it's like, take that idea, go way back and painting is the thing, right? Right. So it's the dominant means of communicating religious ideas, conceptual ideas, um, and then drawing by extension, you know, it's like, it's like necessary to report the news. And then, you know, camera kicks in and, you know, um, better means of conveying similar ideas mm-hmm. continuously emerge and it displaces the primary function of the thing that was there. So then painting becomes freed up and becomes some other, other things becomes westernized, modern. Simplified. Yeah. Simplified or just different or it, be, it, it comes, it comes under the inquiry of, well, what is it when it's freed from X? So then Y becomes the exploration field. Mm-hmm. Um, and the same is true. Uh, I think of illustration and posters and print is, is, um, the, the mechanization of that changes um, the requirements for who is, who can and who doesn't. So like, you know, like take, take architecture drawing. There's, there's, a, there's a generation of people that love to draw at a table with pencil. Mm-hmm. And, and as uh, AutoCAD and uh, whatever kick in, then there's, there's a percentage of person that drops off because part of the chief reason why they did it is because of the analog right. phenomenon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So then they, they are displaced. For better or worse, it's just what happens. Like, and and then there's a new generation that had less of an interest in the drawing part 
the like to actually work with the computer to do. Mm-hmm. So now you're, you're onboarding and offboarding. You're like, and then, and then it shifts and the type of person that comes in is different perpetually. So, and so then you, you know, you keep seeing these place displacement, uh, trajectories occur. Mm-hmm. And so then you, you know, so then you get, then you get like, um, I mean, when you think about it, uh, old school illustration as somebody who studied illustration first, before I became more of a kind of a contemporary artist, um, a lot of the techniques I learned don't even matter anymore because Photoshop exists. Yeah, they just don't even, you don't even need to know it. Um, when I see Photoshop, I, I, I see what I learned to do with watercolor and gouache and yeah, as far as using layers, and, yeah, layers yeah. and things like that. It's like, Oh, that's Photoshop. You know, like that's Photoshop now. So this becomes a unusual option when it was the pervasive norm. That's that's well you know said. What I mean? yeah. yeah. So then, so then, so then, what happens is the jobs for that become fewer because it's a inefficient um, excess to uh, what can be done pervasively by less talented people this way. Yeah. I mean, it, you, you put a couple of uh, blobs of oil on a canvas and then you got to come back to it. Mm-hmm. Or you could have already done 15 of them on your computer, on computer. by the mm-hmm. end of this sentence. Yeah. So the mechanization. So then, so then also then, so then if you, let's say you get someone who's really talented, which we have, and they're really talented at this, then they're like, they're catapulted to the top. And, um, understandably so. And that has to do with the mechanization or the digitization of things. So you're just going to keep seeing, you know, you're just going to keep seeing things. That's what happens is we displace one thing for another. It's like when automobiles were created, then highways were necessitated, which displaced um, like horse, bug and carriage Mm -hmm. or buggy or whatever. And then, but also then the ends that were set up along these dirt paths that actually had whole ecosystems of, you know, food and ends and beer and, like all these jobs that mm-hmm. were all aggregated around, you know, horses are displaced because highways have come because automobiles were created, you know, and then, it, and then it, it displaces that. And then it kicks off a new um, system of, of things that emerge mm-hmm. out of it. And so that's, that's the even gets into things we've been kicking around is like the responsibility of what we make forecloses on some possibilities and makes them obsolete. Like the phone is obsolete. Right. The, the house phone is gone. Mm-hmm. Ain't coming back. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm not saying I miss it, but I mean, it's an easy example. It's gone. Yeah. You know, like, and so when we, <laughs> you know, it's like when we do the next thing, we're foreclosing on the prior. And I think that's all that's been our push lately is trying to make sure that you're not like, are there things that we're losing that needed to be lifted through and supported as we make transitions? Um, you know, I, I always use record vinyl as a good example. It's like the resiliency of like records it's kind of stayed, but it went through like a dormancy because it was like, we don't need records anymore because yeah. we got CDs. And then, and then something about a record, uh, the, uh, the object ontology of the record and the sound of vinyl against a needle, be, it was a uh, strong enough of an experience, a phenomena that people couldn't fully let it go. And then it, it reemerges against the backdrop of digitized music. Well, what direct drive uh, turntables also allow you to then manipulate a record without destroying it yep. or destroying your record player. So then that will always be, yeah. even though they have like, you know, CD scratch systems or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's just, it, it's like, it still comes down to like the weight. You know, if you pull a record out and you feel it in your hands, that's an experience. You yeah, man. You, right? smell, you smell it as it comes out the paper. Yeah, yeah. and then the way, the way the curves are, like, so if you're pushing on the record, 
Like that's different. I mean, I've experienced it. So like there are, there are intangibles you can't quantify and it, that's part and parcel to being human. And that relates back to the illustration even like, so like we were looking at, um, it's funny, man, we were looking at these, uh, 50 example of these 50 famous Japanese, uh, prints from 18, I don't know, 1830 to 1860 or something like that. And they were revolutionary because, and I'm forgetting the artist's name is at the museum. I bought a, a book to try to get a little more on it, but, um, Laura and I walked in and we initially just kind of glanced around. We weren't, we weren't there to see those. And we were just kind of like, eh, you know, and then, and then we looked again and then we looked again. And before you know it, literally like we were like whirlpooling in the gallery, <laughs> nice. just going like, Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. And then the, what seemed simplistic kept opening up into more complexity and beauty and efficiency. And then you start realizing there's this incredible, this reason why this person was, um, kind of cutting edge is because they were an em- emerging, um, kind of Japanese atmospheric landscape uh, in block printing with um, linear perspective, but in such an incredible way, man. And, uh, you know, like, so we're looking at them and there are things that you can only experience seeing it. Mm -hmm. Got the book, took some photographs, can't see it. It's not there. The image is there, but the the phenomena is is dulled out. So we live in a world that doles out phenomena because it's digitized. So mm-hmm. everything is united in a digitized phenomena, which is its own phenomena. Mm-hmm. And it levels all the other ones to a degree that is hard to argue because we're talking about minute difference unless you have major value for what's minute. And then it, then it enlarges and you're like, oh, we're talking about apples and oranges here. Mm-hmm. But most people are too impatient to ever come to that point. Even my wife and I were not there for that. So it, 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 re- it meant that the rest of our night was altered. And we didn't see some of what we were going to see because we took in what was there that hit us. And, um, and you know, so it's to say that um, more of those experiences upheld can invite more people into the realization that there's something there that I'm not getting when I look here. Yeah. Do you yeah. know what I'm saying? And, you know, so I think that, yeah, hopefully, hopefully sort of analog approaches to illustration don't, don't go away, you know, which is not a, I'm not anti like tablet and I see, I see the benefit and I see, I see how track, I mean, and even like, you know, working with, um, you know, programs that let you like, I got this art rag program where you can paint and draw and I do all this stuff for my, my students, but like, I see the benefits of it and I can do things in there that are really interesting. I do them quickly. I can, I mean, I see all the, the lore and I'm thankful for it. But man, I don't want to let go of painting a six by eight foot panel. Yeah. You know, I think another part of it too is we've, we've done such a good job of decentralizing everything Mm -hmm. um, that you don't have these like cultural centers anymore for things. So like, you know, back in the day, you know, if you were going to go work for like, you know, time life company, you know, be that, that person in the suit and tie, go up with a briefcase, sit down, draw your stuff, or maybe you're working with like a big ad agency in New York. And you're doing your illustrations. Um, we just decentralize a lot of things. We're like, hey, you know, as technology advances, things improve in some ways. Uh, stuff becomes cheaper. Uh, well, we don't have to have a big company that's doing this. So I have a bunch of little companies. And then they say, well, we're just a little company. Our overhead won't allow us to have a person full-time be an illustrator. So what you need to do is you need to sit at your house and you need to do all the work to find the job. And then every yeah. once in a while, you'll have a few hours left over to do the work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we'll pay for it, and it'll 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 minimize like our our liability in the situation, and allow us to maximize 
I mean, it's it's a completely industrial complex for the way to view the arts and the commercial arts. In a lot of ways, we've we've turned uh, factories that make chairs into factories that uh, we we call the gig economy, mm-hmm. right? And so it's well, you got clip art and and Getty images and stuff that you yeah. see all over the place. I for mean, real, because if if I'm not really worried too much about it as like a publisher or somebody, if I'm not really worried that. Uh, 47 other small magazines around the country have used this piece of art that they've purchased from a subscription service. I'm going to do the same thing. Right. Yeah. I don't, I don't need to pay efficient. you two, three, four times that. Right. Yeah. Because it's, it's tough, all efficiency. Man. It's tough because there's a place for efficiency, man. You know, But there's also a place for the thing that says this is like, so to speak, this is like, this is a Richmond person doing a Richmond thing in yeah. a Richmond publication. Right. 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 There's right. a DNA to that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And uh, yeah. there's an intangible there. Uh, that is is a value not a cost yeah i think you have to rely on the art directors across the country um to have a draw to the traditional Hmm. um if they don't then a lot of times it's gonna they're gonna go in the direction that probably is easier more Mm -hmm. coachable more like they can direct a little bit easier or well, I also think I also think it's a ubiquity of the um, so like the globalist. I'm not. <laughs> there's a so you know in was it 2001 or two? I had a theory class and we were, you know, going through modernism and the failure of modernism, and then talking about globalization as as kind of the new hope. And um, but you know, the, a lot of the globalized tenets were the same as modernist tenets. So like, mm-hmm. and one of the big discussions was, and there's a you know, uh, there's a baked in. You could hear it in the narrative of, t- of today. So you t- talk about regionalism. You you can get into issues of racism and things like that. Like so, there's a lot baked into a regionalized culture, and not all of it is good. Not all of it's bad. Yeah, some of it's messy. Some of it's good for a time and terrible for later. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's and so there's this like, um, um, it's a vacating the regional into the digital mm-hmm. to alleviate the problems of the regional by decentralizing, like you're saying. Yeah, but the Achilles heel in, in that is that there is a, a, a suspension. Of, it's, it's like a suspension of disbelief mm-hmm. that has to be at play in order to uh, believe in the digital proposition as a world sufficient to deal with us as, as um, living beings. Mm-hmm. You have to agree to submit yourself to a digitized, digitized space yeah. and believe it such that it starts to really impact you to the point that you're no longer thinking originally at all. And now you've yeah. been globalized into a currency system, a model, a value system that is fluid. Um, provided you 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 suspended disbelief is non-hierarchical, although you're resting on the hierarchy of the digitized internet space, and it starts to dictate the aesthetic terms, the value terms, transactional terms, director. Wow, yeah, you all, see it. You see it in in publications now. Yeah, I, I don't want to trash anybody, but very consistent across the board. Uh, if you're going to see a spot illustration for uh, a psychology article mm-hmm. um, or even even a cover for a lot of the, the stuff out there right now is not as experimental as it used to be. Mm-hmm. Um, it used to I, I remember going through old New Yorker covers and being like, there was just like a huge difference between month to month, week to week. So mm-hmm. like, man, this is incredible. Now it just it's more of like the huge change. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, the, very, the composition very, changes. Yeah, that's about it. Very marginal change. And here's the thing: so then you got everybody's in the this ubiquitous experience with themselves at a center of a decentralized world. Mm-hmm. So then, so there's no no need for that because I 
I am the, the uniqueness that makes this unique, even though it's totally ubiquitous. So it's com- complete uniformity. And then as long as I'm claiming it as, d- as d- different, according to me, than uh-huh. it is, which is not true. Yeah. So then, so that's the suspended willful disbelief. Like you have to lie to maintain uh, the reality. And so the reality is dulling and flattening people. And, and then what happens is it, be, but that ubiquity becomes your context and your reference point for aesthetic value, for experience value. And so, so as long as you're, as long as you're reading the New Yorker and you're not really looking at anything else, then, then that's your standards of it, reaffirming your bias boom 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 that's what it is that's what it is yeah and then, and then you're it's an echo chamber of uh safety um in there's no differentiation well i would assume that the art directors are trying to absorb more of the same as well for yeah. conf- confirmation bias they, they might not jump to juxtapose and go yep. through every months and months and months of juxtapose magazine to mm-hmm. get a different feel for what's yeah. out there so yeah, yeah they kind of become stagnant but don't understand yeah or don't even realize it yeah, yeah. and the stagnation is like like uh, a weird need to brand yourself safely, which means to be safe, you it, like it's like a contradiction. It's like I'm going to brand myself, but I got to do it in such a way that it's actually safe, which really is a way of saying it's going to be uniform. That is, I yeah. can't stand I branding. Say, I mean, when it dude. comes to like self branding, it's 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 hard on me. Yeah, for what you had said, like you want to, it's like you're trying to curate an aesthetic that is going to draw people in and not push people away. But then you lose a lot of the honesty in that because mm-hmm. you're not willing to put out your, your momentary truths. Like, yeah. It's, I mean, it, you know, hyper individualism in a, in a hyper connected space is always going to push, push towards a neutered kind of disgusting monoculture. Hmm. Yeah. Because the best you can be is watered down. Right. The best you can be is non-confrontational. The best you can be is acceptable. Well, and so that's the thing, right? As long as there's uh, a moralized component to it, then it, it elevates a moral headspace divorced from a corporate reality. Mm-hmm. So we, we live in a moralized headspace up here that has us more frustrated with the world out here. And that's why we're so polarized out here. And, yeah. so, and, so, then, and so then what it does is it, um, it uh, um, creates a... Um, it creates a dis like you're kind of hitting it. It creates a disdain for, I can't, you know, I can't believe I'm talking about regionalism, but it ca- it creates a disdain for that because, mm-hmm. because people don't want to be, here's the thing. We are not everyone in and of ourselves. Mm-hmm. I know people talk about collective consciousness and meta minds and, and, and stuff gets thrown around, but you are bound to one body in one place at one time at mm-hmm. any given time. Yeah. What that means then is we are necessarily regionalized creatures who have levels of scope and impact predicated on our capacities and our opportunities and chance and all of the stuff, right? Providence, providence, whatever. And so um, that's where we fundamentally dwell in reality. Mm -hmm. But in our experience, as we've shallowed it, we fundamentally dwell in the ubiquitous space where I can affect things in seconds across the world. Mm -hmm. So that gives me the false sense of what I'm able to achieve and what the parameters are for that. And it drives me further into disdain for my, my localized or regional, regionalized experience mm-hmm. because it means that I can't be ubiquitous in, in enjoying to everybody else the way that I believe because my body won't permit that. I'm not able to do I'm not infinite. Yeah, it's a, you know, the, the picture that kind of sticks out to me within this space is like, you know, think of like the three-legged race at field day back in elementary school, right? You're tied to some kid's leg. 
but you're both individuals. You yeah. know what's up. But you don't understand actually how much you are bound literally to each other yep. in that space. Yeah. All right. So what do you do? All right. Well, you're really fast. He's really slow. Or the other way around. So the thinking is, oh, we're going to go my pace. Mm-hmm. And both people believe that. Yeah. Best thing you can do is go some like altered medium mm-hmm. nothingness, <laughs> which is not impressive. It yeah. is never impressive. Right. The three-legged race is not that one where you're like, man, did you see people excel at that? No, you didn't. You saw them fall over. It was funny. It was a good time. Yeah. Now you take a four by 400 and you have the same sort of thing. These folks are bound together. Yeah. But they're not bound together in a way that is contingent upon the other person in that same kind of specificity. Yeah. yeah. Instead, it is ability and placement, right? Because yeah. if you're second leg or fourth leg, it's because you run differently, mm-hmm. right? If you're first leg, you know why. Mm-hmm. So we have these these understandings. They they work well together. So you're passing the baton. There's a lot of uh, collaboration. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of teamwork that goes into it. But you're not having to move towards a mushy middle mm-hmm. like you are in the three-legged race. Yeah. Instead, yeah, yeah. you're moving towards uh, excellence in spaces and things like that. Um, now, well, that's you why could, the Olympics was a four-by and not a three-legged race. Three race. Yeah, I mean, hey, there's yeah. still hope. Maybe there will yeah, be one there day. could be. <laughs> this point. Dragging people yeah. around a 1,600-meter yeah. thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. yeah, they both have to be on, like, skateboards while they do it, though. Yeah, that, that's a weird picture. It's probably been done. That's a, I gotta, I gotta, if not, we need to do that. Maybe a good viral video. It's like, trip, it's like drinking some cranberry juice, our, three-legged our race middle, on a skateboard. Three-legged race, we're on one board, and we're both on the other side of each, you know, like our other leg is on this side and this side going like that. So yeah, and then the two a, connected legs bust yeah, the kick flow. This, yeah. <laughs> However that would work. That would be really weird. Heck yeah. Dude, that's a really, man, if I was 20, I'd be trying to do that right now. Without question. We'd be getting hurt right now. Yeah, for real. Man, so, so yeah, I mean, there's a lot of like, uh, a lot of stuff that's like easy to kind of critique within the process because the, the work is hard to come by. There's a lot of folks doing it, right? There's a lot of uh, people who on the other side of things are not just worried about the people doing it, but they're worried about their budgets, their overhead, everything else. And that's tough. So, I mean, I don't know. Do you have some, uh, I don't know, some projects you want to share uh, that were just like stand out as like really awesome projects for different reasons? Or do you want to, you know, is there anything you might want to share about like places where you found success or like things that are kind of some good practices that you found work well for you? I mean, anything in that space? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, as far as projects that I enjoyed, uh, I had one for Richmond Magazine just recently, and it was about a, uh, it was a local story that started like a hundred years ago and it became a gossiped story. 30, 40, 50 years afterwards. It was about a, huh. a lady and a man, and they got married. She had she came from crazy money. He didn't at all. Uh, never did anything. Like, he had his own um, business. He was real estate uh, flipper. And, you know, the, the narrative is he never asked for any of, any of her money. You know, he was self-sufficient. She got to do her thing. She was like a, a socialite in Richmond, so she was, you know, part of uh, – you know, different like justice leagues in in the area. And mm-hmm. then she was like fundraising for this fundraising for that. So she was a personality and he was kind of obscure and they went down to Florida and a hurricane came through while he was out doing a real estate uh, deal and nobody could find him after the hurricane hit. Mm-hmm. And you know, she's got money and she's putting money out trying to get him found. And she eventually comes back to Richmond because you know, her attempts were fruitless and then everybody's like, where did he go? What is, what's going on? Like, he didn't, like, steal money and then bounce. He just disappeared. Uh, she's 
in the city on Broad Street, I believe, maybe Grace, and hears his cough, looks over and sees him in the back of a cab as the cab goes and pulls off. So now she's like, she calls the police, yo, this dude, what's what's going on? I think it was him. You know, and, and they're obviously not they're reluctant to believe her because he's been gone for five years and she's she already put tons of bread into like private investigators around here, private investigators down south. Um so the the story was it, it continued on to where it, you got to find out what he did, which was he just bounced on her and continued to try and like stay away. She kept trying to divorce him and he kept like not showing up to court, getting arrested, escaping. You know, it was like a, it was a bizarre story to where he ended up dying with uh, like a pair of shoes and something like nothing to his name. Um, but the the assignment was to do three quarter page illustration to go along with this article. Hmm. And the, uh, the editors gave me all the old magazine clippings or not magazine. I'm sorry. Uh, newspaper clippings. Mm-hmm. So I got to read all of those. Wow. And, and so I think the projects that I enjoy the most are the ones where you have to, or you have the ability to research in depth, then you know you start doing little studies of, like I, I drew the dude's face, I drew his grandpa's face because I wanted to try and figure out like how I could draw him at a certain age. I'm drawing her, I'm drawing Richmond, so it just it it changes what the end result is because there's so much effort put into it. Yeah, um, it's it's easier and definitely more fun to work that way than it is to say, okay, um, this article is about college debt we'd like to have a hand um it's about virginia college debt so we'd also like to have a cardinal and a stack of money go at it you know and and, and as an artist you can't say nah that's whack i'm out mm-hmm. i mean i guess you can but i couldn't yeah because i'm i'm new and i'd like to establish rapport with folks and i want to i want yeah, to do good, what they're and, asking you me know, to there's, do there's that's good work it's just not always the preferable work yeah because sometimes yeah. the art directors come up with great concepts yeah and they've yeah. they've been seeing that since the article's uh title might have been presented yep. to them so they want to see that yeah uh complete yep um but yeah that that project definitely stands out as one of the the most enjoyable because i had reasons for what i added into the illustration i had reasons for why the line work was a certain way i had reasons why i didn't like I left the eyes a certain color because I knew so much about the assignment and yeah. um, it activated you. Yeah. yeah. And I'm really research driven in general. So um, it might not even be necessary in some assignments to do that, but I enjoy the process and it's been, it, it helps and, yeah. it, and it allows me to create something that I'm proud of afterwards. So I, that's kind of my consistent, I'm going to do this. I'm going to research. Yeah. If it's, if it's a, an article about horse racing, I'm going to look at the anatomy of the horse. Um, not just, you know, a track. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That makes sense. So what, with a project like that, like you put all this research into it, you're, you're, you're talking with these art directors, you turn your stuff in, like how much back and forth do you have then? Um, like, do you get a lot of like pushback, uh, after that or are folks more keen to say, Hey, it looks like you've done your due diligence. Like, Let's roll. So I've been, I guess I'm, I'm reluctant to talk about this because it might have negative consequences. No, I understand. No, but just whatever in, you're comfortable with. With all of the art directors I've worked with, so, you know, there, there are those that understand quality work or they push you in the right direction. And mm-hmm. the end result is something that both parties are comfortable with. Um, and they're great to work with. There's others that if you give them 
the work and no explanation behind it, they're going to then swat it, push you in a different direction, and then expect, you know, a, a specific mm-hmm. end result. Uh, if you take that same work and then tell them that you researched a ton and you tell them conceptually why you added this element into your composition, there are those that are able to hang their hat on that explanation when they present yeah, it to their right. editor, and then boom, that that piece works now. Mm-hmm. Um, makes sense. Yeah, and it, I, I, when I was in school, we went to the VMFA and I saw this gigantic painting. Everybody was just mesmerized by it. I completely was I was on the opposite side and started asking questions and and kind of tearing it down with the the professor and. She got frustrated and the students got frustrated. They felt like I was attacking them and their uh, artistic knowledge and taste. Mm-hmm. But I was really trying to break down why this crazy simple painting that didn't really mean much to me was just having everybody stop in their tracks and sit there for 15 minutes to discuss it. There was a plaque beside it that was like nine paragraphs long that the teacher had read prior to us coming and that was part of her explanation because I went and read the plaque afterwards and realized that a lot of the stuff was regurgitated. Now, she had reasons why we saw that. She used it as a a lesson, as a part of the lesson plan and it was uh, successful on her end. But I, I, I always wondered after that, if you don't have the flowery description or the over-conceptualization of why you did what you did, then it kind of invalidates the art and it becomes more clip-arty or more Getty images or, you know, it's just a drawing. Mm -hmm. Whereas if I do a drawing and then I can explain to you why I did it for 10 minutes, it changes the perspective for some. Um, Well, I think that's interesting. I tell my students, because uh, um, whom I love, you know, how important it is to, to... to be as rounded as you can be. So what I mean by that is you want to be a rounded maker, but you also want to strive to be a rounded communicator, mm-hmm. uh, verbally and visually. The reason why is because people uh, process language differently. At entry point, some people are, are op, you know, uh, the, things hit the eyes first and then they get to the mind. Maybe that's and me so, because when I hear the explanation, I'm like, I didn't need that. Yeah, I got people, enough, you know, mm, by seeing yeah, it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Some people, it's the mind first and then, and then the eyes are activated. And so you're supposed to facilitate both possibilities yes. and presentation. Yeah. I mean, I think you or, or or even to say it further, it has something to do with the fullness of the way the world works mm-hmm. that demands both visual and verbal um, and not that one's it's 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 that it's like um, to get at whatever is the case. Um, I always say a picture is worth a thousand words and words are worth a thousand pictures. So they're mutually supportive and necessary. And if we dichotomize them too hard in one or the other direction, then you then you're you're limping with one leg, right or left leg. You're kind of like paralyzed on one side of your body, kind of thing. Um, and most people don't know that. So then it uh, it creates infighting. And so then you're not able to. Um, and there's other reasons for this too, though. It, sometimes the explanation is jargony and BS, right? And in in and because people don't know how to look at things. They can't see the effects and things. So like maybe maybe something you don't like tastefully, but there may be effects there that if you were actually pointed out to you, mm-hmm. they'd hit you. Then you go, oh, oh, that's doing that. That's what it's supposed to be about. Now you're contending with what it is for what it is, not for what you think it is. 
in, oh, then without words, you might not even head in that direction. You can't even get you that might direction. Just see it, you just see it, dip out. Yeah. yeah. So, so there is a a convergence here that uh, as a teacher, like I'm always pushing towards because this is a constant constant struggle for folks. So, um, where was I headed with that? You were saying, um, well, I was going to answer it, like because you know your your emphasis on uh, words and image. Uh, are kind of towards the the makers, and when I push students with words and image, it's always towards the the receivers of those images. Yeah. Hmm. So, um, you know, I I always like to beat up the in my mind really stupid phrase of your work speaks for itself, um, and just add to it and say your work can't speak for itself until you've spoken for it. Well, so it, that's hard to do as an artist. Sometimes. It's very hard to do, and some I, of that has to go back to what we were talking about even earlier in the conversation of like we just don't we don't really poise people for that. It's not a part of the educational process. Necessarily. True, like talking about your work. A lot of times, you're not going to get that till you get maybe in an MFA, where yeah, they're like, okay, like, how do you actually talk about your work now? It's like, well, I've been making it for six years already. That's my right. point about my students. It's like if you don't learn to start to articulate because you're demonstrating that you're saying literally, I'm in a vocation where there's times where I've been able to articulate this and give someone else a handle. Definitely. Um, right? Like, yeah, yeah. That's not actually, that doesn't guarantee that their work is deficient. It's to say that they're mutually supportive and the clarity you can bring in that sense enables a greater likelihood that the work succeeds. Yeah. Well, using yeah. the words in my presentation, whereas I, I didn't when I first got out of school, um, actually forced me to do more behind the scenes work Mm -hmm. to legitimize what I'm explaining to the art director. 100%. So that was cool. And then I felt great about what I was presenting to them. Yeah. Um, I feel that some people may create something, see that it looks nice and then figure out how they can explain it to other people mm -hmm. to legitimize it to them. And, and that's, that's where my reluctancy to explain myself came from because sure. I didn't want to be seen like that that's right. because I don't see yeah, that as compensating. Yeah, yeah. 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 For real. Yeah. And I think, I think, yeah, I mean, I think there's some kind of best case, world where um it's neither one or the other but it's it's a fullness that we still haven't really grasped mm -hmm. that yeah, just yeah. eliminates the feeling that you're you're selling out or or not or you know all, constantly like i think that's the thing yeah because if you got you know if you've got a a spouse a friend a kid you know a partner whatever uh somebody who you have like a love for right um just go up to them and be like hey for the rest of our relationship i'm just gonna be about showing you i love you I'm never going to tell you. They probably wouldn't be too happy about that. No, because you hear you hear a lot of stories about I never heard my parents. My parents never yeah. said I love me, and it changes the way that they see the world. For real, or the other yeah. way around, be like, "Hey, I'm going to tell you every day I love you, like 12 times a day. I'm going <laughs> to tell you I love you, but I'm I'm not, never going to show it." Yeah, you know what I mean. Like in, in those situations, we're like, no, that doesn't make sense. Because they're good analogies. Because just a game I play <laughs> when I want to say. Because I mean, there's a there's a fullness of that. Show right? me. <laughs> Tell me. <laughs> Sorry. No, it's all good. Uh, but like, you know, and the reason I'm talking about even like love, right? Uh, to, to your point, Ryan, like so many songs have been written about it <laughs> because there's such a fullness to it, right? Yeah. Like, and because oh, there's no, such a fullness to it. It's in my head. Sorry. <laughs> um, there's such a fullness to it. So it requires all of that. And I think the yeah. same is true. Uh, you know, you'd mentioned, I forget the phrase you mentioned just a minute ago. Show and tell. No, <laughs> no, that wasn't it. Uh, before that, actually, um, you know, where there is such a fullness to art that uh, it is like it is showing like how how large and encompassing the world is. That I think it 
you know, it's, it's do that. Well, see, respects. so, so it's, it, it's true. So this is the thing, man. We, we, I mean, not to repeat a million conversations we've had on this podcast, but we don't do that. Yeah, never. <laughs> so, so we, you, you don't build a building without speaking and showing at the same time. Yeah. yeah so yeah. it's both, right? I mean, it's just so, so you almost don't even like, you don't reckon, you don't go, the, the architecture speaks for itself. Now at the level of public opinion, yeah, yeah. you may. But everything prior to that has been one big negotiation of visual propositions and verbal propositions and checking with regulations. And for like, real. I'm you know, not getting in that elevator because the building speaks for itself. No, yeah, because whatever it's saying may or may not be good. Right. And in, in that sense. So so um, so we know that it's just when we come to what we think is the fringe of culture, which is the visual arts. Yeah, probably speaking. So because we edges. think it's fringe, we think we can tastefully negotiate it in ways that are, are lazy compared to the architect. And that's why architects sometimes have God complex. Um, Maybe the artists f- feel like they feel entitled mm-hmm. to not have to go that extra route, or they feel like they're supposed to feel entitled to not yeah. go that extra mm-hmm. route. And if they yeah. do go that extra route, then they're now frauding what they. Yeah. And it's, and it's built out of a, it's built out of um, uh, a latent conversation around metaphysics and, art is kind of the new savior in in the modern era. So like, I mean, it, what I mean is like, there's a ubiquity to the ideas around what art can do that it, that it actually can and can't do. Actually, it's not, yeah, yeah. it's not God. It's not ultimate, but it's pervasive. Like, like I've said a million times, I talk about all the time. So, so, but those, it's a credible picture of how much that assumption is built into art in a, such a ubiquitous way that everybody struggles with it. But they don't struggle with it with almost anything else, yeah. Because nothing else was ever burdened the same way that art was in the modern era, mm. right? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah so nothing. I mean, even jazz music wasn't burdened that way. Yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't made to save the world. It wasn't made. It wasn't made to be the the communicator, the common denominator communicator for all people, uh, spanning all languages, all times, all cultures. This kind of, you know, the modern painting in some ways was the first jab at the internet. Yeah, that makes sense. The, in terms of being ubiquitous communication that everybody that supersedes our regional reality and ushers in a utopia through um, uniformity. Yeah. It's, it's weird, man. But so, wow. we, yeah, we, we are still contending with the fallout from that mm-hmm. while capitulating like a 5.0 version of those aspirations. Yeah. Man, there's so much I could say about that. It's so yeah, like it's a, it's a uh, thing that's supposed to be highly democratic. Yes. And everything. But then you have entire <laughs> entire discussions about lack of access. Yes. Inability. Yep. And now you set up caste systems. Yep. Definitely. Uh, yeah. So that yeah. Man, man, there's so much there's so much in that. Um, you know, uh who know we we're gonna hit this tangent with some of the points you made in, right? Yeah. Um, but this is a so I, so I'm excited now. Um just talking through all this stuff, hearing the story, like what, like what, what are you on for next? Like what's what's your next move? Yeah, what's your next move? What are you wanting to do? What are you what, doing what tomorrow? Do you <laughs> what are you doing in five minutes? Either? I'm playing Fortnite tomorrow. <laughs> I'm ordering pizza. It's gonna be a chill day. Um, <laughs> Sounds good, dude. <laughs> I thought uh, Fortnite for years was fart night, and I was like, I'm not playing that game, man. I've <laughs> been a pro for years. I've already been. I already won that. I already like leveled out of that game. That's right. <laughs> I'm just here demonstrating my championship. Credit be. That's right. <laughs> I got the belt. The belt, man. You smelt the belt, dude. Sorry, I'm sorry. No, you're good. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. So anyway, uh, professional things. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, um. So 
I think as I'm maturing as an artist, I'd rather just do what I want to do mm-hmm. and see where it, it takes me. So uh, I'm more focused on things that I find visually appealing, which is kind of cool. It's, yeah, uh, definitely freeing and coming up with stuff that's not corny is mm-hmm. uh, is good reinforcement. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> to, yeah, to stray outside the box and stuff. Yep. But um, the upcoming uh, there's man, I got three incredible projects that are about to pop off. Um, I'm doing a branding for uh one of my best friends' wives is going to start a business um as a homestead so i get to brand this like rustic old school oh, legit dude simplified uh design work but then i get to throw my line work in because it fits in that space which mm-hmm. is cool you know yep. you, you often see like anatomy of chickens or maybe not anatomy but like detailed feather drawings of, sure. of chickens mm-hmm. if if you're an egg company or whatever um I, maybe not like big brand but smaller brand sure yeah, yeah. Um, so that's that's gonna be really really fun uh working on the textbook with you gareth mm-hmm. for vcu um mm-hmm. is super exciting i that allows me to do that designer work that i was talking about that i really found interesting i think it's really just i like type mm-hmm. i don't know if i like graphic design it uh as a whole but i like type and i like how it fits mm-hmm. and i like composition studies and stuff so uh, having the ability to do the design work mm-hmm. on that book and the illustration is going to be incredible. Yeah, Type yeah. and image is something that I've always enjoyed. Uh, poster work is something that I've always wanted to do. But again, I'm, I'm in there like, yo, can I make a living? How many posters do I have to do a year? Mm-hmm. And then that becomes bananas to try and yep. uh, figure out. Like, So the the book is going to be huge. I, I'm really excited about that. That'll take my, my portfolio in a completely different direction as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so my editorial illustration skills can translate the book covers kind of easy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm super excited about that project as well. Legit, yeah, Sweet. man. Um, and then, so my ultimate dream from the first time that I went to an art gallery was to have a gallery show. Never mm-hmm. could envision how it would go. Uh, I just was excited about the idea of maybe being that guy that could sit in the cut and see how people reacted to stuff. Um, and maybe that stems from, you know, the art teachers telling me yeah. that I was garbage and, uh, yeah, well, I can, prob- I can show you, you bit. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. No, totally. Um, yeah. Cause I've definitely had those moments where I was like, man, I wish I could see Mrs. Such and such, man. Oh, you don't even know. Um, but, uh, a gallery show that you guys are going to help me with is incredible. And then yeah, having the, the freedom, to bring all the things that I'm interested in potentially to the stage and have everybody else do exactly what I was saying, sit back and react, man, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm excited. I'm nervous. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that'll be, I'll, I'll be achieving like three dreams this year, uh, taking a brand from ground up, mm-hmm. uh, gallery show and creating a book, man, 2021 is going to be good for me. I hate to say that because 2021 is crazy. <laughs> 2020 was even worse. Um, I don't think 2022 is going to be much better. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well, cool. Let me get my year in. Yeah. Yeah. This has saying? been your moment of zen. <laughs> zen again. Yeah. I, well, I think, you know, the thing is, is like, uh, you know, you were talking about, you know, you go through school and you're just doing your hustle 100% for school. Right. You come out, you got six months of like mm-hmm. dead air and crickets. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, 
And we talk about this, and it was even mentioned here a little bit before, but like there are these incubation periods, right, where you're doing your stuff, where you're reaching kind of like a terminal velocity of sorts, you know, where you've got a maximum sort of space you can push into. Um, and we've had we've had artists on a uh, podcast in the past before that have said the same thing. That was like there was nothing. You had like these seasons of famine, and then you had like these short seasons of feast. Yeah. And that was that was the on and off that we talked about earlier. That was kind of became the on and off of the professional life, is that you had to kind of like ground yourself in the reality of those feast seasons. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, this is what this like famine part works towards. Right. Well, and as a new artist, uh, if you want to have that consistency of work, I the business side becomes extremely important, you know, mm. and the marketing and the consistency yeah. on that. Yeah. Yep. It's unavoidable. Yeah. Cause I mean, th- it's not guaranteed. No, it's like, not guaranteed. Put the same effort in you might not be received. But if yep. you don't think about like that business side of stuff while you're in the feast, you're just like chomping it all down, living it up. <laughs> and then you get to, you know, four months in a famine and you're like, ah, oh, what the I need crap. some, I need some leaf chicken right now, man. You're talking about feast. And I know. Yeah, so I haven't had leaf chicken in a minute. That's yeah, cool. I'm, my stomach's over here rumbling. Yeah. Um, so, I, you know, last thing to leave folks with, where can they find your stuff, man? Where are you? Where can they find you? Uh, www.iain. It's the Scottish version of Ian. Mm-hmm. Uh, I-A-I-N. Last name is Duffus, D-U-F-F-U-S, dot com. So it's just my name.com. Yeah. They'll be in the show notes. So if you didn't catch that, just click on the show notes. You'll see it. Click um, the show notes. So they uh, <laughs> can they can they follow you anywhere else? Like you got some stuff on social you're doing or anything uh, like Instagram that? is just ian.duffus. Uh, that's that's really where I enjoy doing uh, most of my outreach as far as mm-hmm. like showing my stuff off just because it doesn't, I don't know. I just, it, it's free for me to just dump pictures and not have to do too much after that. Totally. Yeah. I do a lot of that, like the the negotiation and the 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 conversing with with art types through the marketing part. And I'm mm-hmm. like, man, let me just use the social thing as a kind of like a a journal. Yeah, yeah. But then you know, I took I took time off from doing that too, where I was like, I, I felt like it had to be consistent, and there needed to be an overall mm-hmm. design to the entire experience that somebody had. So I've gone off on that, like back and forth. But I, I think that's what I like about Instagram because it's it is what it is. If the people rock with you, then they do, and if they don't, then they can go and find somebody else. Mm-hmm. And it is what it is. Yeah, yeah, dude, I agree. Yeah, and and like you mentioned, we're gonna have you showing in the studio space in a few months. Uh, so we'll let you know about more stuff as that comes down the pipe. Excited yeah, yeah. for it because um, you got a lot of stuff in your background, like we talked about today. So I, you know, looking forward to a very like um, kind of amalgamated, almost frenetic in some places show. So I'm, yeah, we're I'm, gonna like have a, a turntable, skateboard. <laughs> Canvas uh, line drawn. <laughs> Just all, pull, all, almost in together. together. It's going to be a pile of stuff, and then I can explain it away. You know what I'm saying? I can tell yeah. everybody what is there and yeah. why it's important. Yeah, dude. So uh, we're looking forward to it. And, uh, you know, all the stuff for 2021, like, it's going to be exciting keeping up with you, man. Thank you. Uh, there's some really good stuff that you're involved in. Um, and, you know, just like your your wife and uh, her grandma were saying, I think you got some good stuff rolling. And Thank you. Uh, you, you, got, you got some good stuff ahead of you, man. So, um, yeah, it's been a great conversation. Thanks so much for coming on, dude. That was uh, easy. You guys are easy to talk to. I really appreciate you. Just chilling, just chilling. Yeah, we're just a couple of fart jokes. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do our thing. Yeah, it's Go like fun. we're gonna we're gonna move from like uh, you know, diagnosing <laughs> diagnosing the echoes of modernism and oh contemporary art practice into like, you know, fart jokes and, <laughs> yeah. and random songs. That's what we do. That's what Gareth and I it's do twenty four seven. Yeah, you should hear us when we're not being recording. It's, yes. Uh, Same thing. Time. 
Pretty much. <laughs> fairly, fairly consistent. Fairly consistent. Yeah, we don't change much. Nah. So, as always, like we like to say, you're a fantastic audience. We love all of y'all. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Please. Thank you. You've been listening to Shaco Art Speak, a production of Shaco Art Space. We are an independent, nonprofit art gallery in Richmond, Virginia. We can be found online at shacoartspace.com and in real life in historic Shaco Bottle.